Welcome to the Switch RPG Podcast. I am one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by just Johnny. Johnny, how's it going? It's going good. Wow, he is he is feeling very good today, guys. Um, if yep. this is your first time listening, this is the show from SwitchRPG.com, where we bring you the latest in the world of RPGs on the Nintendo Switch. This week, we have a lot of new game announcements, and we'll also be discussing some RPG trilogies. We'll get to, into that a little bit later. Uh, but first, don't forget to visit our website, switchrpg.com, as well as our Twitter's Twitch, uh, sorry, uh, our Twitter is twitter.com slash switchrpg. I royally messed that up, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, what are you playing, Johnny? What have I been playing? Well, I uh, finally finished Bioshock Remastered. Bioshock 1, okay. Bioshock uh, from the collection. So finished it. Game is excellent. The final boss fight is stupid it makes <laughs> no sense it's one of those like cheesy hollywood throw at you kind of things it it kind of makes sense in this weird quirky world where everyone's living under the sea but uh it is fantastic i believe i got the good ending it was uh, a little a little touching a little sad oh no, no tears were shed though oh, at that's all good. Well, that's good cold-hearted but it was uh quite good Definitely appreciate it. I, I think System Shock 2 is the better game when compared. Okay. And the gameplay, the overall uh, smoothness of the controls and the combat, especially for a game that's so so much more shootery than than RPG, as opposed to you know the RPG the more RPG side of things that System Shock was. Uh, it's still not good shooting mechanics it gets the job done but it's it's like it's like all right but okay because yeah. after that so after i finished that so by the way fantastic like definitely worth playing definitely worth playing however I immediately started to play after that bioshock infinite now why did you jump over two uh because i don't want to play two two is going to be more of one and i got all my right. fill for one I gotcha. And one has the better story, and two is a prequel. Mm. So for for those reasons, or maybe maybe it's not a prequel. I don't I don't I actually don't know if it's a prequel or if it continues after, depending on the ending you get for Bioshock. I don't want to say anything else. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not entirely sure either. So. Yeah. I'm not too sure how the story plays out in Bioshock 2, but I decided to skip that. Okay. Uh, and Bioshock Infinite. I will say this. The, the feel, the controls, how you play the actual shooting antics that happen, awesome. It feels so good. It, it is smooth, buttery smooth. Really good. All the enemies are responsive. The weapons are responsive. They have good punch. They have a good feel for them. The kickback isn't like super ridiculous or anything like that. And I know like they put in kickback and stuff like that for the sake of wanting to get the perks or the the enhancements, etc., to make the kickback 
not as extreme, but uh, it is awesome. And this is one of the best Switch game, best looking Switch games. That Bio was Bioshock Infinity. Infinite. That was going to be my next question. How how does it really look? And it looks graphically, it looks incredible. Okay. Absolutely incredible. If you would have told me that it was a port to the Switch, I wouldn't have guessed because oh. it looks it looks like they handled it super well. Just magnificent. Maybe some very rare instances where the frame uh not the frame rate, the resolution will drop and things will get a little pixelated, maybe here and there, but for the most part, it is a gorgeous looking game. It hmm. it's it's also just they I guess cartoonized the the visual look a bit more yeah they did whereas yeah. uh the bio the original bioshock was a little bit more it's definitely darker way darker game and more towards horror this game's not horror so everything the colors are saturated everything's bright and there's a lot of light everywhere and excellent lighting effects and volumetric fog galore like excellent looking clouds it's just it is a Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful looking game. Yeah, I, th I think I, I think I mentioned last week of of the three, uh, that was one that I actually was just gonna buy outright. I did, I wasn't interested in the entire trilogy because I had played one. Um, I wanted to get Infinite because it kind of looked good and it interested me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's so visually probably one of the best looking games on Switch. It's nice. going to be hard for me to think of another game that's better looking than that. It's probably better looking than Xenoblade 2. And that's a great looking game. Yeah, well, Xenoblade has a lot of uh, kind of your the resolution issues that you're talking about. Um, yeah. But it does look, it does look, have its places where it looks excellent. Yeah, it's, it's just incredible. And the world that it takes place in, I will say this, uh... <laughs> You, uh, the, the, um, uh, America that it presents in timeline wise, this game takes place, I think in like 1912 or nine early, some, somewhere pre world war one okay. timeline wise. Now this is all alternate history type stuff. Yep. Uh, and it takes place, uh, has, uh, in a world where a, collective of Americans decided to separate from the union that was the United States way back when for reasons. And, oh man, is this game political like crazy. <laughs> this is like one of the, the most political games I've ever played. Really? Uh, and I, knew, I already knew that coming in. Mm -hmm. And just playing it again is just a reminder. And I love it because... Yep. It just does it very well in, in a very fantasy, you know, alternate history type thing, but it is so good. It does Wolfenstein potentially better than Wolfenstein. And Wolfenstein 2, by the way, which I played and beat on Switch a couple months ago. I think it it might be doing that better. Huh. That's good that's good though. You you kinda wanna see that, right? You wanna see you know, companies out there either porting or developing for the Switch, like, optimally. And, you know, if if people can lean on 2K or whoever ported that, uh, whatever porting studio they use, if they can lean on whatever they did, 
all the better, right? Well, I'm not talking about the porting effort. I'm talking about just the world and the oh. characters and oh, I gotcha. okay. what they do, how they present that world and and the characters within it, just how they handle that. It's just phenomenal. Okay. It is excellent. The, it It is excellence. I feel I actually kind of feel bad for for Irrational Games because this was their last game because it didn't sell as well as they wanted it to. And they, it, you can clearly tell that they put their heart, hearts and souls into it. Yeah, yeah. But um, on kind of just what I was saying, I, I think, though, having Wolfenstein or, or uh, this game, Infinite, Having it look the way it did on the on the switch is all the better, right? Kind of hopefully, yeah. yeah. Oh they, yeah, yeah. They, they can be leaned on for uh, as a resource. Yeah, and as a standalone, oh yeah, get it. This is this could be if there isn't any other game that comes out this year, and if this wasn't a port of an old game that came out last gen, this would be like game of the year for the switch. Oh, wow. It's that good. It would be game of the year for the for the switch for this year because it's that good. And there's different. It's not the same type of RPG elements. It's different from Bioshock, but it's also really good. Uh, one of the things that you get, this is not a spoiler at all, is you can get this, um, I don't know, this, this vial thing of three different colors. And you, every time you pick it up, you get to choose a, stat, a major stat boost, either more health, more total maximum health, more of your uh, salt, which is like your your ma- your mana for mm-hmm. casting your your juice, your little left hand stuff, uh, cast your spells, <laughs> or more shield. So, and every time you pick it up, you get to make that choice. So, I want more of this, more of that, or more of this. More every health. Time. More health always. But shield all the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. It, shield shield regenerates. So like, it's like getting more health and getting regeneration at the same time. Like like uh, Halo. Like Halo, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's real good. Um, you can you can also enhance your guns. You can enhance your your spells, and you can even get gear, uh, different uh, equipable gear. There's like a head slot, a body slot, a leg slot. Mm, there's one more. I think there's four four different slots that you can get. So for four different pieces of gear, and you can equip them, and each piece of gear gives you some... They don't give you stats, they give you abilities, each and every one. So you can kind of pick and choose which of those unique enhancements that those that, that your gear is going to give you. Uh, and you get more gear as you play through the game. It's just great. It's just great. Hmm. Your experience in this game, if there were experience, it would be the money, because you use the money to get a lot of stuff as well. Okay. Now, here's what I don't get, right? Um, the same development uh, developer porting studio that made the, uh, or that helped port over the Bioshock 1, 2, and Infinite are the same folks who did the Outer Worlds. So I'm wondering um, what happened there. <laughs> it's the engine. It, yeah, it has to be the optimization it's of that engine. engine. Yeah. yeah. Because, because you have a, the big difference is both Bioshock, the Bioshock collection, right? All of all three of those games came out last gen. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's a big difference. Yeah, that uh, really helps. Yeah, so that's Bioshock Infinite. I have no clue how far in I am. I'm probably like a third of the way in, maybe maybe less. 
I think it's uh, about a ten to fifteen hour game. Yeah, I could I could kind of see it going about twenty hours, maybe. I don't I don't I really don't know. It feels like there's a lot to it, and I hope there's a lot to it or a lot more to it than Bioshock, uh, the first Bioshock. Okay. It's just awesome, awesome stuff. And then I've also got back on board with Resident Evil Seven, trying to beat it. That's it. Just trying to beat it. I just want to get it all done. Just and get over. it through. So you do, and I just had so much trouble in that game. Number one, the beginning. How did you get? Oh, you beat it? Or? No, 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 no. I'd never beat it. Um, number one, um, it the beginning of that that game is actually pretty frightening. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of jump scares and 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 whatnot. Um, so that's that's number one. Uh, number two, I got to a part where I was in. I think it was the basement where there's a lot of black blobs and whatnot. And um, I was pretty much struggling for ammo or I'm out of ammo. And for whatever reason, I was just locked in there. I couldn't get past any of them. And I just kind of gave up on the game at that point. And that's pretty, yeah. pretty early in the game. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of early. Uh, the thing with those things is you don't, you're not supposed to kill them. Uh, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. I'm never playing it again, because I can only play. Obviously, I'm playing alone in my basement, and I already think my house is kind of haunted. So, I'm I'm all set. I'm good. <laughs> it's just too much for you. It, just the the weird slime creatures are too much for you. It wasn't really the slime creatures. It was just more like the grandma, creepy grandma, chasing me around, and like just all that. Oh, the, oh. the creepy grandma on the wheelchair. Yeah, and then the woman kind of as you're hiding, she's like finding you, and I just, it just, I at that time, at that moment in time, maybe it was just a, where I was in my life. I just could not handle it. I couldn't handle that's, it. That's the mother, I believe. I don't know. I don't know who it was, but she can. She's no longer in my life anymore. But now that you've mentioned it, she's back. Uh, I want you. Sorry, sorry about that. You brought her back. Uh, <laughs> it's a good name. It's just, it's just not, um, it's not as good as Resident Evil Two, yeah, the remake. So now Resident Evil Eight really looks interesting. Um, where they're bringing, it looks like maybe vampires, maybe they're going in a different direction and not lichens, like man, lichens. Was it, was it lichens and not vampires? Am I looking like werewolf to me? Okay, well there you go. Um, even even better. I, I don't think there's enough good lichen or werewolf games. So yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of keeping an eye on that one, for yep. sure. So you're just trying yeah. to put an end to it, huh? Seven. So yeah, just put a nail on that coffin. Just get it done and over with, so I can say like, "Yep, I've played and beat you know all these Resident Evil games." Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I just yeah. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. All right, so that's what I've been playing. What have you been playing? Ah. <sighs> Well, honestly, uh, not not too much. <laughs> um, I, I've honestly been like so super busy. Obviously, going to work and just having to deal with that, and coming home having to deal with like other stuff, like giant projects I'm dealing with. Um, so I'm, I've been keeping up with Xenoblade Chronicles uh, Definitive Edition, also with um, the Outer Worlds. I'm continuing that as well, uh, and then I've added on Tower of Time, which I believe by the time you listen to this episode should be out. And um, it is another kind of CRPG. I told myself, I said, Geo, you're not going to play any more CRPGs because you don't like them. Um, 
and you know what? I'm starting it, and I'm already like, why did I get myself <laughs> into this? Um, I think my problem is with the CRPGs, and I that's kind of a a broad general term. You my, do like them. Yeah, I do like them. The problem is, is that when the combat mechanic is real time with pause, I have a. This may just be a me thing, and playing on a console, so you got to remember that I'm not playing on a PC when I'm doing this, uh, and I think that's a big difference. If you're playing a real time with pause on a PC and a console, it it's probably night and day, or I think it is if, like control wise. Anyway, um, I I don't know if it's just my. OCD, my ADD, I have no idea. I don't know what it is, but like when when things are going on that I'm not really planning for, and then I have to pause the action, and then I have to, like, I don't know, tell people what to do, and then I have to, they go, and they pause. I'm like, oh my god, there's just way too much going on. My head's gonna explode. And then and then you have people running off where they're not supposed to. It's like you have to micromanage everyone. I, just, I don't know. It gets you just way too hectic for me. I'm with you. So I'm, I'm not. I'm not alone then. I no, can. I, I can. It, I can cry on your shoulder. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think all the people that want to do CRPGs, they should do it the way Divinity does it and make it turn-based when you go into combat. Yeah, I. I, I just think the, the micromanaging. It's just especially on a console. It just there's just way too much going on. There really is. I don't know. Or they could do a give us give us the players, uh, give us the hooks and the mechanics of developing our own, you know, a la Final Fantasy twelve Gambit system, right? Our own AI. Yeah. Allow us to script our party members so that when we so that we don't have to do the pause stuff. The re- we could do the real time without the pause. Right, that isometric real time type. Like stuff. I'm, I'm not that far into the game, but there was just the way the game works is that once you engage in a battle sequence, you got a loading screen, right? Um, which is really immersion breaking. So you get into a battle sequence, and then the enemies kind of come into the map. They're not already on the map. They're like coming in through a. Typically, it's a doorway. From what I've seen, again, I'm really early. So they come in through a doorway, and then you have to kind of react. Um, and right now, I only have a couple of party members. One is a very ranged character. One's kind of a tanky character. So you send the tanky character after the the blob, uh, after the enemies, and then your arrow, your ranged character is just kind of fighting along. And then when you defeat that enemy, you get another wave, essentially, of enemies, and then you're kind of doing it all over again. By the by, but by the t- almost the end of it, your tank character is already is just hangs out at the doorway waiting for enemies to come and just gets shellacked. It's like, like what what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to give it a little more. Right there. I, I lost it. Hang on. I lost my headset. I'm getting all riled up here. Yeah, but it's definitely a good tactic to just have all the enemies get bottlenecked by the doorway <laughs> so that you could fight them, you know, have the tank block their passage to your squishies. Right, but when, you, when you're out of health mana or health, uh, when you're unable to regenerate health uh, enough, your, your tank dies. Because well, that's a bad tank, then. It is a bad tank, but that's all you got. I'm, I'm only a few hours into the game. I have no other options here. <laughs> Just all you need is one tank 
one healer, and the rest all mages. I'm not there yet. I, told, I only have two party members. Ah. But I don't know. I do have to give it a little more time. Maybe maybe there's some other gameplay mechanics that are that are coming in. It, it is a longer game, so it's like 30, 40 hours or so. And I'm only three or four hours in, so... Well, maybe, maybe that's a level design issue. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I, I'm still going to give it some more time. Um, visually, it looks it looks good. Um, I wish a lot of it was voiced over, but it's not, so that means I have to actually read aloud. Um, but, you know, it, it it's okay so far. It is okay. All right, so that is what we are playing. Some, some new game announcements. We had quite a bit last week. We had pff, a ton. Now, we did add a, a few more digital, I guess, events go on. Uh, one of the things that was announced was Nightcall. Uh, Nightcall is essentially you're a taxi driver, right? And, um, well, that's the basic gist. You're a taxi driver who's just solving murders. Um, and it's kind of got a cool-looking, um, I guess, uh, look to it. It's kind of like the, I don't know, what would you call that? Uh, black and white, grayscale. It is definitely, yeah. It does have some grayscale in there, but um, you you are you're you're kind of doing your own investigating, so you're almost like a vigilante, I, I guess. Um, and basically, you're trying to connect the dots on a on a murder while maintaining your job. How is this an RPG? It's a. Uh, it's I don't know exactly what um what other elements are in there. Um as far as RPG, you are playing the role of a taxi driver, and I hate using that as a definition of an RPG, but that is one of the things that are in it. Um I don't it doesn't really go into it in here. Oh, it does actually. Uh gorgeous game, noir style. Every character and location is lovingly hand drawn in a stunning black and white. Uh, it is definitely intended for mature audiences. Uh, Nightcall strength lies in its narrative experience, accompanied by a light resource management and investigation mechanics with a potential of 90-plus passengers that may hail down your cab. You'll encounter whimsical and lighthearted moments, intriguing stories, tackle your thought-provoking themes not often seen in games. Nightcall is not a single story, but a collective narrative seen through the eyes of your fares who may have something to share and contribute to the greater investigation to save your life. So this may be categorized more as a, um, I don't know, a sim or visual novel, maybe? I would say more towards in between visual novel and a uh, point-and-click adventure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, except it's, it's not doing any of the stereotypical point-and-click adventure stuff. Uh, it has some interesting-looking um, detective almost like detective connecting puzzles together type, yeah. like associating one person with another person type thing. So it has some detective stuff going on there. Uh, almost like a uh, taxi driver, the movie or taxi. Was it taxi? Yes. Yep. With De Niro. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't, I don't know if that's the angle that they're going at. Yeah. It, or, it seems, it seems very similar, but it's definitely a more of a, it's got that, you know, where you connect in the red lines and the strings and and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there, you're, it looks like you're controlling with a mouse, so it looks a cursor. Yeah, item. There's 
you get a screen and there's a bunch of different stuff. And if you highlight the cursor or mouse, whatever, cursor over certain objects, that, that object will illuminate and that tells you it's interactable, right, in some way. That's mm -hmm. like standard point-and-click adventure style stuff. So, Right. This is presented in a very different way. It's interesting. It's just um, I'm wondering how it falls into the role-playing category of things. Certainly, you are role-playing a taxi driver to a right. certain degree. I yeah, and like and like like I had said, I hate using that as a defining category of uh, RPGs, but yeah. All right, so moving on yeah. to the next one. This one's a little ways out, but I still wanted to bring it up. It's a strategy RPG called The War of Gem uh, Genesis Remnants of the Grey. Now, this is uh, a... I think this is out already, or gonna be uh, out in Japan. Um, let me just see if I can get the article here. One second. Ah, here we are. Alright, the strategy RPG War of Genesis Remnants of the Grey is in the works for the Switch. Korean publisher Line Games and developer Studio Reg have announced a release slated for sometime in 2020. Here's an overview. The War of Genesis Remnants of the Grey is an adventure strategy RPG currently under development um, by Line Games. Uh, the War of Genesis series, I'm sorry, uh, based on the Korean uh, popular The War of Genesis series, the game is a remake of the first and second sequels of the series and is built on Unreal Engine 4. Um, the reason why I want to bring this up, I think visually, so um, you can look online, there's very little gameplay in there. Uh, it's mostly No, there's a lot of gameplay. Is there? I thought I only saw a little bit. Oh yeah, you go on to the War of Genesis Games. That's their website. They have a trailer oh, okay. that you can watch, and it's showing a lot of. It's showing all gameplay pretty much. Oh okay. Um, I I saw screenshots, and visually, I thought it looked really good. Um, what what are you seeing oh, so far? Oh, it looks far? good. Yeah, it's definitely Unreal Engine for very pretty stuff. So yeah, I think I think this game looks good, and, for, and and originally I just saw screenshots of it, and I thought it looked really good. And, and now you're watching a video, right? I was watching a video, yes. And if it some of the stuff is yeah, if some of the stuff is done in in game engine, I think I think we got a winner here. It looks really good. Yeah, it a lot of it is. It looks like uh, the overworld is kind of like it almost looks like it's a Diablo style isometric presentation, but you go up to an enemy, you whack it, and then all of a sudden the the environment changes into a combat grid system where you're taking turns moving your party members and and attacking enemies and whatnot. Interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. So that is uh, the War of Genesis Remnants of Grey. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be a while, but I just wanna I just wanted to put it out there. And then next we have from, again, RPGfan.com. Weird West brings RPG and twi twin-stick shooting action from former Arcane Studios president. Uh, so Arcane Software's former president and founder, Rafael Colantonio, um, I think I said that right, is making an auspicious return to the RPG genre with Weird West. This game draws from a myriad of inspirations, including Stephen King's Dark Tower, uh, but gameplay-wise, brings to mind Arkham Zone Immersive Sim. Immersive Sims, classic RPGs like Ultima 7, and Twix, Twin Stick Shooters, of all things. 
So this is uh this is gonna be an interesting one. It's it's combining a couple of different I don't know, I guess genres. Have have you seen seen this one? Yeah, yeah. I I remember watching it when it was debuted during the PC gaming show and it looked real good. Uh just what they were going for. It looked very ambitious, high quality stuff. Uh I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be for me. I'm, I've never been like a huge fan of uh, Wild West or Western style things, but this is like fantasy Western, so yeah. I can definitely get behind that. It's uh, it depends on the mechanics. The big thing that I'm not a fan of is stealth. I'm not I'm not a big stealth person. You're not? No, nah, just to me, stealth gameplay has almost always been boring, even when playing Metal Gear games it, it took metal gear solid 5 for me to like really appreciate stealth yeah and and that's the issue stealth has to be done really well and um i'm trying to think of some games that really do it well um metal gear that? solid 5 well yeah okay metal gear solid 5 um uh what's golden eye nah, perfect no. dark perfect dark okay maybe there, there is another one that I, I, geez, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I think Thief no, doesn't. I, I don't think they. I, I don't think they did it great, but to me, stealth games where you get the game over, uh, or you have to restart, like you got detected and you have to restart, that's trash. I hate yeah. those galore. Yeah, you, you want to be able that. to fight out at your, your fight your way out, right? So fight out or reset the alarms in some meaningful way, right? Oh shoot! What is that name of that game? I can't even think of it. Thief is a, another good one, but jeez. Oh, yep. I can't think of the game. But Thief's good because it has that first-person perspective. Yeah. yeah. Although it's it's been forever since Thief was good. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was never bad, but it's just it's just old and hasn't really uh, updated enough. Right. Uh, Sekiro is probably actually the next best stealth game. It's an, it's an action game, but it does stealth so well. I love how Sekiro does stealth. Mm-hmm. It's fast. It's very fast and effective. Right? If you stealth to an enemy and you get to that, you get that backstab, whatever it is, jump down, stabby thing, you're gonna kill them, and that's it. That's your reward. You don't have to fight them. Right. The reward right. is you don't do this, you know, one minute long fight against an enemy. You just kill them right then and there. That's great. The um, the games I was thinking about were Hitman and Splinter Cell. Splinter Cell is one of the ones that I don't. It's too slow. Too slow. It's too yeah. slow. Too cumbersome. Yeah, it definitely slows things down. All right, this one could be good. It's just I saw that cumbersome movement where they're they're dragging the corpse, mm. and it reminded me of a of another game that came out uh, a couple years ago on PC and PS4. I think it was like Shadow. Shadow Hunters, Shadow something. No idea. Something like that. It takes place in like samurai, feudal Japan-esque era type things. Shadow Generals or something like that. Something weird. Uh, and it was a very big stealth gameplay. It, it, looked, it looks like that. The same thing. Yeah, so that's why I'm, I'm also skeptical. Okay. Well, 
Um, so that's that. Let's see here. Uh, Nintendo everything card based action. Uh, coming to the Switch. So card based action game Doors of Insanity coming to the Switch. This is uh another. We're starting to see a lot of these right now. So it's another turn based card uh, RPG. Now I don't know how in depth. It goes with card collecting like Slay the Spire does. Um, but I, I, I'm I not entirely sold on this one either. Uh, publisher, another indie, and developer today announced Doors of Insanity, a card-based action game, is in the works for Switch. The project is currently targeted for release in 2021. Um, yeah, like I said, we're, we're starting to see a lot of these. I'm surprised this isn't Cyberpunk 2 um, as well, but it's... <laughs> It's a little, it's a little more kind of maybe high fantasy, I guess, maybe. Uh, I wouldn't call it high fantasy. It's more like uh, Munchkin. It's, it's just comedy. It's comical. Like Saturday morning RPG-ish, maybe, you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just that. Or maybe slightly adult swim. It's kind of like taking adult swim uh style cartoon drawing animation and mixing that with like old school 80s style animation and and what fantasy how fantasy was portrayed back in the 80s right it's like a combination of those two things yep oh man <laughs> they put one of the characters a dude was wearing like jogging pants and they they added a they added a bulge. Oh what? <laughs> it's it, it's strictly there for comedy. Like you could tell, this is like this is a lot of comedy in here, in kind of a good way. The execution may, might might not be the best, but you know what? <laughs> I wouldn't be down on this. I like I like what they're doing. All right. It's yeah, kind yeah. of it it's it's kooky. It's quirky. It's comedy. It's card based weird stuff insanity it could be good time will tell we'll find out 2021 yeah all right next then we had like uh nas america had like a big part in that uh new game plus kind of uh direct i'll call it uh and one of the games was fallen legion revenants uh announced for ps4 as well as switch uh, publisher NAS America and developer Yummy Yummy Tummy announced Fallen Legion Revenants for PlayStation 4 and Switch during the New Game Plus Expo livestream. It will launch in 2021. It is a sequel to the duology Fallen Legion Sins of an Empire. Um, so they're, they, with in true fashion, NAS America has like a regular edition and also like a super duper collector's edition. Um, I don't know that I'm sold on this one either. Um, this one's kind of got that. Oh man, I don't even know what to call these guys. It, it's got like a lot of. It's it looks it's very side it's sky side scrolling. It has a formation like um uh, sort of uh is a formation right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your forward yeah, unit, it's... your back units. And it almost, it very much reminds me of the combat in um, Indivisible, where each each of your party members is associated with a face button, and then that's kind of when they attack. So it kind of looks very similar to that. 
whether or not it plays like that, I'm not entirely sure. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff animating during the combat. It looks the combat looks kind of hectic, and not not in a bad way, but uh, I'm not saying it's in a good way, but it in an interesting way. It looks pretty hectic. There's a that, lot of stuff going on. And that's how Indivisible was a little. There were times where there was there was just a lot happening because some. Some of the some of your attacks take a little longer, um, so some attacks were happening at the same time. So the, again, attacks like it didn't really matter when you were pressing them, um, because yeah. the, the time to actually where an attack took a little longer. It it looks like each character is mapped to a button press. Yep. Yeah, face so, button. And yeah. I'm guessing you have three characters that are your I don't know, Avatar minions, and the person that's flying is you. Which right. is why there's no button flying uh, over your head because you're controlling the three mm -hmm. or they're protecting you, the three that are on the ground, something right. like that. And that's why I say it's like a, even like Indivisible, except for your main protagonist does do some of the fighting. Could be could be interesting. It, this is definitely something that you kind of have to just play, do it yeah. hands on, and and see where it's going. Yeah, hopefully, maybe they'll even do a demo. I don't see that anywhere here, but that probably be a good good thing to do. Yeah, for for them. All right. Um, that's a big special collector's edition box set thing, though. And for a weird quirky game. They do it for every almost every one of their games. Um kudos to them. Yeah. So they're big on kind of collectors, you know. And uh, or physical uh, physical items and I absolutely love that. I I don't know much about this game. Do you want to go over this next one? Yeah. So uh, uh just out of nowhere Koji Igarashi pops up and is like, "Yo, you like uh, Circle of... What was it called? Uh, Curse of the Moon? <laughs> so many Castlevania games confusing. <laughs> you like Curse of the Moon? Well, here's Curse of the Moon Part 2, and we're just going to throw it at you. Because Re really you out all of loved it. And it actually, oddly enough, Curse of the Moon scored higher than Bloodstained in certain areas. Because it was an excellent, excellent sort of riff on Castlevania 3. And now they're making a sequel to it. And I'm so excited. And they're going to have multiple characters mm -hmm. seemingly from the start. Now, Curse of the Moon also had multiple playable characters. So, and that was a big, a big mechanic in the original Curse of the Moon. Seems like they're, they're doing the same thing here, but there's more. And it seems like the amount of actions that you can do is potentially more for each character as well. Uh, there was some interesting stuff going on. And... Uh, you played as Zen Zengetsu, yeah. I, I think it's how you pronounce it. Zengetsu on the first one as the the first initial main character they get, and they've expanded his repertoire or his move set. It looks like his move set got expanded, but other than that, the other three that they have shown off are different. They're very different from the other characters that you got from Curse of the Moon. So. And they announced three other playable characters, one of which is a corgi. I thought I read it wrong, because all I saw was a big giant mech. 
But apparently inside that mech, a steampunk style mech, is a corgi. Is a dog? Yeah. Yeah, it's a corgi. <laughs> That's awesome. So you play as a corgi inside that. So they're they're just coming out with this, and it says it's coming soon. I'm so excited because the first one was excellent, and this one's going to be excellent as well. Yeah, they that was the key word, right? They just said soon. There, there was no, like, this year, next year. There was nothing. So who knows? Yeah, a yeah. corgi. A corgi. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not a cat, right? That's usually the next thing they go for. All right, corgis, uh, corgis have been a thing for some some odd reason. Yeah, well, corgis. Um, yeah, I don't know. You or typically for for um, like China or Japan, it's um, a cat, right? Any any cat, corgi. Not typically. Usually, it's like a Shiba Inu, which is a Japanese dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, but corgi. Ah, that's cool. I'm okay with that. All right. Also, from I think this was NIS America. They were on fire. Um, so they revealed the Legend of Heroes: Trails of Cold Steel Four coming to the West. Um, now the Switch date they didn't give us. They gave us a PS4 date of October 27th. Um, and in this article it says, "Don't worry, Switch and PC gamers, your time will come to, uh, come soon." And it will arrive on those platforms in 2021. Now, I've have you played any of the Cold Steel games? No, no. no. I, I mean, they seem like they they'd be fun. I just have never gotten into it, man. The reason why is because you need to know what's going on in Cold Steel one and two and three before you even touch four. And I don't know how they're that's handled, uh, whether or not. And the reason why I say you need to play those is story-wise, narrative-wise, they're they're yeah. all they're all connected. So jumping into a series at four is, and especially the the size and length of these games, that's a pretty kind of daunting ask, I think. What you could do is, you know, probably pull up some let's plays to get up to speed on the storyline. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. Kind of just catch you up. It's unfortunate, but. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if if they're making it so integral storyline wise. Yeah. So yeah, that's there may be there may be some homework in, involved in this, but I'm glad that the Switch is is in the discussion and it's it's coming this way. So they're seeing there's that there's value in bringing it over. That I do like. Uh speaking of which, value and coming over to the west. Yeast Nine Monstrum Knox coming to the coming westward in 2021. Um, again, this was all in that New Game Expo. Um, it was revealed that Yeast Nine Monstrum Knox, the latest entry in the Neon Falcom Acclaims Yeast series, would be officially heading to the West in 2021. In this action RPG, the famed adventurer comes under a devastating curse and becomes one of the titular Monstrum. Did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, it was the other word that I was concerned about. Um, and must uncover the secrets of the prison Balduck. Now, I think we mentioned this with uh, Yeast 8 uh, being kind of one of the, I guess, the go-to RPGs. Kind of like the one that, it's, it's just a solid, solid RPG. And I think yep. you could say that in general for the Yeast series. 
I've never played East 8. I do want to do it eventually. But I think I w I'm going to get into this one. Um, without a doubt. And I say I think I'm going to do it because guess what? Geo is getting the collector's edition for, for it. Wow. Um, I've I've okay. watched I've watched several uh people playing it in in you know in Japanese cuz it's already released there and uh it is definitely something that I think I will like. So I've already jumped on that. It looks very much a darker storyline than uh Yeast 8. Mm -hmm. Uh also I I didn't care too much for the environment in Yeast 8 which was the island. Right. Uh, this one's in a prison city. Great. That sounds awesome. I like that. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, definitely a, a lot lot darker. So I don't know if that um, is narrative as well. Um, I would think it'd be kind of more of an adult story, but again, I'm, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, but it's coming. It's coming. And I think a lot of people are excited, including myself. I am yeah. excited. It, it is exciting. It's just, uh, you know, looking at these graphics... Uh, all I see is like, oh wow, that looks like uh, what Tails used to look like back on the Xbox 360. <laughs> Taking right. them a while to update their engine. Yeah, I they definitely did not update it um, for this game, but that's okay. It it looks sharper though. I will say that. Maybe they've absolutely perfected that old engine. It's yep. time to move on. Um, all right, strict. I don't even want to talk about this game. You talk about this game. So the Pokemon Company finally had their last little bit that they mentioned from, I guess, late last week or something like that, that they're, they're going to mention, oh, yeah, we got something else to show off. Oh, they showed it off uh, yesterday or today. It was today, I think. Yeah, today. Uh, yeah. So it's a strategic action team-based multiplayer Pokemon game, a.k.a. the name of the game is Pokemon Unite. And all you need to know is that, that this is Dota. Pokemon Dota. And for all those of you who hate Dota, this is League of Legends Pokemon style. <laughs> and if you don't like that, this is, uh, I think, Paladins categorizes as, as that. Or, uh, or um, what's the Blizzard one? Heroes of the Storm. This is Heroes of the Storm, Pokemon style. Actually, it's, that's probably the closest one I could uh, I could guess because uh, Heroes of the of the Storm is you have like map based missions they have to like solve together as a team. Right. And that that becomes an important aspect of it. And this Pokemon one, yes, you're killing the other players, but what you're actually doing is. The creeps are other Pokemon in in the battle map in in the big giant map arena map. I think they called it an arena, and you have to kill them to well capture their them in a Pokeball, and then you sort of slam dunk your Pokeball onto <laughs> these nodes that are placed uh, along the lanes that are in this map, or at least that's what it showed off. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be different maps. Like, so the Heroes yeah, of they, the Storm has multiple maps. Yeah, they but, only showed they only showed one one map. Yeah, but but Dota only has one map. Yeah, and League of Legends only has one map. I'm not counting the other maps that are like meant for like two player, three player. I'm talking about the standard five on five. It's all just one map. So 
know, it it's interesting. It looks like it's actually well uh, done. This was also done in conjunction to a certain degree. I think it was developed, might have mostly been developed by the uh, by the whatever studio that Tencent has. And Tencent is the people that own the studio, Riot Games, that does League of Legends. And Tencent also does, I guess all they do is pump out lots and lots of Team Arena-style brawler dota style games they already have one on the switch Mobis. For... that's the correct term. yeah they they already have one on on the switch yeah um, uh arena of valor yep free to play yeah. arena of valor um, i played that one it's actually it's actually real good all right so maybe they'll do pokemon some uh justice here i have no idea oh oh that's probably a little bit loud just kill that there we go it's all good yeah yep. no i didn't do okay never mind we're learning how to use the internet today, Johnny. Yes, we are. We are. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, here here's my deal, right? Pokemon Company. I I kind of wanted them to do new stuff, and I guess I'm getting what I asked for. This is right? new. This I know. Brand new. I'm getting what I asked for. Yeah. But I don't think this is what anyone wanted, though. <laughs> I'm down. Yeah? I, I used to play MOBAs like crazy, man. I yeah. played, I think I've played almost all of them. All the major ones I've played. Right. I've played League of Legends quite a lot. I played the original Dota when you had to run it on uh, on Warcraft 3 yep. as a custom map. And I would download all the different pat. <laughs> I, you know, you'd eventually play it, then you realize you couldn't make a match with someone... Uh, on Warcraft 3, and that was because you didn't have the most up-to-date map with the latest balance changes. There were balance changes on a custom map of Warcraft 3. That's how big Dota was. Right. Dota was awesome. I played Dota 2. You know, I played even the... Mm, I forgot the one. Heroes of New Earth. Mm, I played that. I've played so many of them. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just not my thing. And maybe with the Pokemon skin, um, it'll be all right. But this is like cross platform, right? So that you can play this on the Switch, you can play this on your phone. Um, yep. I don't mobile know. Devices, they said. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, mobile devices. So maybe iPads are are in there yeah. or tablets. Um, now there, there is a big fail with that. I I see as a big potential fail. Right. Typically, when you do like these weird spin-off-y, crossover-y type mishmashes, right? You're throwing the Pokemon uh, theme, whatever, the Pokemon franchise, over this tried-and-true genre of game, MOBAs, right? What's the one thing that you that MOBAs don't have that Pokemon can offer? Multiple characters. Many, but, many. They, MOBAs already have multiple characters. Okay, What's the one I... thing that makes Pokemon unique? The type system. Oh, all right. Okay. And they don't have that. They it's... took they stripped that away, huh? They specifically said during the uh during the presentation that that types are the type system doesn't apply over here. Which ah. I understand that w that could potentially create some major uh major balance issues. Yeah. But that also makes it different from other MOBAs in a very interesting way. And there's ways to get around that. I mean, come on. You just allow uh, players to, instead of having one Pokemon avatar, 
have them have three. But they can only have one out on the field. Yeah. So then they can swap out, right? And there'll be a cooldown on the swapping feature. This is how you solve it. It's like so easy. You pick three Pokemon as your avatars that you're going to take onto, onto the field. You keep the type system. The enemy has types that you're really good against. They swap out because otherwise you're super effective against them. And now you're no longer super effective against them. And instead, they might counter what you got. Right. That is a awesome dynamic. That, that would be brilliant. And maybe your ultimate is you can swap out again. Or maybe you, you throw out multiple Pokemon all at the same time. They do have ultimates that they showed. Uh, but, you know, there, there are so many ways to do that. But the type system was, a that was like served to them on a golden Pokemon platter. They a don't... gold ball. <laughs> An, An ultra ball. An ultra ball. They don't That's want it. it. Yeah, they don't want it. I think they do have golden balls. Do they? I think so. They have so many different kinds of Pokeballs. It's too many. Too many. Yeah. So yeah, this, I don't know. It's just, I think MOBAs are just obviously aren't my thing. So I was just kind of really down on this. And then they come out with like some toothbrushing AR game and it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just well, well, too many quirky things, I think. Speaking of quirky things, they also announced Pokemon Cafe Mix. Which is a free-to-play or free-to-start game, right? And it's out now. Yep. You can play it right now. And it looks, I don't know, it's weird. It looks like a puzzle, like a match, match um, physics-based puzzler style right. game. But it, you're also in a cafe. So yeah, th I this is, uh, what's that crazy, not crazy, but crazy popular uh, phone game with the matching puzzle, matching gems and whatnot. There's uh, too many of them. Yeah, but that's what it reminds me of. I feel like they're just late on these trends. Like the MOBA trend is over. Um, this this gem matching trend is over. I don't know. And you gotta. They have so puzzle game. You're probably gonna get stuck on puzzles, or they they might have some sort of like energy fatigue system or whatever. And you can get these golden acorns, and you can spend money to get more golden acorns to help you complete puzzles. So. Right. Yeah, so I don't know how much um, in-app purchases there are, but I know with one of their other games, uh, Pokemon Quest, there it was there were in-app purchases. The thing is, though, it only allowed you to you only needed to spend so much in the game. Say, for example, you spent like twenty or thirty dollars, you got the entire game. You eventually got yeah. the entire game. I don't know that these are the same. Um, is the MOBA uh, Unite is that free? Will that be free? Did they say? Yes. Yep. Okay. They said it's gonna gonna be free. I think they said free to start. Yeah, that I can't worried. remember if they said free to play or free to start, but it is gonna be free. And it looked like during the video that the roster is very limited and small, but I can imagine just being how MOBAs operate is every week, month two months, whatever, a new character gets introduced. Right. So you can easily see, like, every week or every month, another Pokemon gets added to the roster of playable Pokemon. So, so they must all play differently, because otherwise, what's what's the point of having a new character? I'm yeah, guessing. typically they'll have, like, one or two uh, passives. So each character will have, like, one or two passives, and they'll have four to five unique abilities. 
and the accumulation of those those activatable abilities and the passives all that collective package makes them different playstyle than others and then also starting stats right like are right. they a strength based character or an intelligence based character whatever it is i don't know they didn't really show too much as to how the pokemon unite is going to operate but um it it's kind of like taking a epic battle in an rpg or role-playing just game in general that that's what playing a mob is like it's just doing epic sort of rpg battles over and over and over again team versus team style stuff yeah. really good stuff Mo mobas are really fun and addictive uh, yeah i'm, I'm sure I'm, it's different it's, it's for you that's okay I'm, I'm glad i'm glad you're getting a game that you like it's well, look, or that I'm you could potentially not stick with it, but I'm right. definitely gonna download it and try it. Mm -hmm. As long as it's good, I'll give it a shot. Although the fact that they dropped the type system is just silly. They shouldn't have done that. Yeah, who knows? Maybe that will be there. Maybe that could be added later. I, I would think maybe with like yeah. a a two point or whatever. No, no, not not the way that the type system should be implemented. That it cannot be implemented haphazardly it it can't be that's not something that you just overlook yeah and you can't hamfist that in afterwards you have to design it from the ground up being aware that a type system is in there and they they don't have it well they decided not to have it that's that is uh their ball to drop oh well all right moving on from Pokemon Company, and is it also developed by Game Freak, or what's the story there? Anyway, it doesn't matter. They've, they've been... I don't know. I think they're behind the times still. Or maybe that's just a me thing with they're still out for the kids. Geo, you're a grown adult. You shouldn't be liking Pokemon thing. It's definitely still that, because Pokemon is for kids, and mm -hmm. there kind of isn't any... MOBA game that is for kids. League of Legends is probably one of the ones that comes kind of close enough because of the art style, but even then, it's not meant no. for kids. It's more yeah. teenager, young adult. Okay, so maybe they're hoping, hoping that a younger audience, a different audience, will um, a target audience, really, will help them out. That's possible. Uh, it's possible, but I I don't think that's a good direction either. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's what I mean. Like they're just behind. Maybe they developed this when MOBAs were a thing. Started when MOBAs were a thing. And they're like, yeah, finish it. Oh, MOBAs are still a huge thing. One or two, sure. Uh, more than just one or two. All right, sure. You don't have to. You don't have to get all upset about it. Uh, I'm I'm just saying. You know, you say one or two. I mean. These games have been around for decades now. Right. The MOBA, there, the MOBA style games. But there was a time where every, like, every, like, there were a lot of games coming out. They're all MOBAs, and they kind of came, came and went, right? They did, but the the strong stayed, and the weak. Go away. Go away. Every now oh. and then, you gotta have something new to shake it up and see if it sticks. And Speaking yeah. of stuff that sticks... <laughs> Square Enix reveals the English trailer for Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. Woo! 
So yeah, Did I say sticks? I meant to say stinks. Oh, because yeah. it stinks of non-RPG-ness. Yeah, this is totally lack in... Obviously, this is very much a spin-off. Um, and, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, so, in 2020, embark on a magical journey of music in Kingdom Hearts' Melody of Memory. Travel through iconic Disney worlds with fast-paced rhythm action gameplay rhythm featuring over 140 Holy tracks cow. from the Kingdom Hearts series. That's a lot. Relive favorite moments in a whole new way. Um, yeah, I was just playing the trailer and it blasted through my ears, so it's probably going to get on the recording and I can't take it out. I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, I had to see what this this trailer this was all about. And yeah, definitely not not for me. It's a rhythm action game. Cool. With the Kingdom Hearts uh, franchise. Look, there's this is not the first Kingdom Hearts spinoff, and this won't be the last. No, no. But it's not the Kingdom Hearts that we want on the Switch. Right? Hey, it's Kingdom Hearts on the Switch. Hey, there you go. Pretty cool. That's a step, That's a step in a direction. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Maybe they'll they'll say, "Hey, that game did really well. Let's put another spinoff." Uh, anyways, yeah, that's that's it for new game announcements. Uh, sorry to end it on such a low note there, but it is what it is. So for some news, we have Apex Legends. Um, now news coming out on this saying that it's looking really, really good. Uh, they say it's a big challenge. We've been working on it for a while. It's not without its challenges. But I'll say it's looking really good and running very well. Obviously, it's a different platform. We had to make some changes to get the game to run there. It's got motion controls, so we're, we're uh, supporting that. It takes some time to support it, the gyro aim functionality. Uh, it's a lot of work, but coming along nicely. Uh, and who was that? That was the game's director, Michael Higgum. This is coming from... I'm from get... Respawn. Is it from Respawn? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, it's, um, I like to hear that. I like to hear that games are running well. I'm glad they, they, they're really happy about it. But here's the thing though. He's, he's the game director. He's trying to sell the game. We heard the same thing from the folks who, um, um, ported over the Outer Worlds. Um, you know, we can make any game, we can port any game over, but it's not without its drawbacks. Now he did, obviously he said it's a different platform. We had to make changes. So I mean, what are the compromises that they had to do? Obviously, we don't know yet. But I, I think getting a game like Apex Legends on the Switch is is going to be good overall. Oh, uh, I could be very wrong. Who is Michael Higgum? My, oh, I'm sorry, what? Michael Hig Higgum? Uh, yeah, Chat the Game's director. I... So I tried looking up Michael Higgum. I don't know. That might be, um, yeah, that might be a false naming right there. Is it? All right, Michael Higgum is the person that works for GameSpot. The person that they sat down with was Chad Grenier. Right, that's definitely not what they say here, though. Game yeah, spot. yeah, that that's yeah, that article kind of misrepresented. A yeah, what, bit. 
What it says here is yesterday GameSpot had the chance to chat with the game's director, Michael Higgum. Yep. Now, here's here I totally get got what you said before. Here's the silver lining. This port is being made in-house by Respawn. Right, they're not porting it over? Is that what you mean? Well, they're not getting a porting studio to do it, right? Exactly. So yeah. they're handling handling it internally. Mm-hmm. That is huge. Because typically when a company, right, like uh, IDOS, not IDOS. Virtual Larian. Larian. Oh, Larian. Right. Okay. I didn't know where you were going with this. Yeah. When they, when, when they do a port of their own game, they take it to heart and spend the extra time to make it quality. Right. That's what I'm getting at. So the fact that the respawn interactive right a, a very prestigious studio is taking the time to do their own port of this game and i understand why they have to because apex Le- apex legends he speaks with his hands guys he knocked the mic down <laughs> yeah. apex legends uh is a living game right so it, it's constantly going on and they're going to do more and more updates as they continue to play a game over and over and over again etc so they need to constantly work on this game so they they have to handle it in-house right otherwise they'd have to have a porting studio do it every single time they need to change that would be a nightmare so i yes they they are part of the studio so whatever he says you take with a grain of salt he's praising it of course he's going to praise it type stuff but to me when i hear like they're handling their own port to me that's good news they don't want to mess it up yeah and and part of that has to like you had said has to go um they have to keep in mind like they they need to because otherwise when you're making those changes and whatnot because it is a living game you're going to want to do that. Otherwise, you're going to get really expensive to have another studio do it. Yeah. And, and I'm excited to see what they can do, what Respawn specifically can do with, with what their tech running on the Switch. It's probably going to look real good. Yeah. Yeah. I, as, I, they say, uh, yeah as, they, as they say. Yeah, as they say. As they say. So yeah, we will we will see. I know it's not an RPG, but I think it's always great news um, when when you start seeing some of these bigger developers putting games on on the Switch. All right, next we have a Bravely Default Two devs hint at online functionality. Uh, mentions a demo with save data transfer and more. This was this was um, initially translated by nintendo everything i'm trying to see where they got their i can't really can't really find i'm trying to track the the articles here Uh, but bravely default two developers tomoyo asano and masashi oh it says it right there i'm trying yeah Uh, okay yeah masashi uh masashi takahashi spoke more about the rpg in previous issue of famitsu the two hinted at a possible online functionality and addressed the chances of another demo with save data transfer and more. Uh, so if you read the article on Nintendo, everything it, it has a list of a lot, a lot, a lot of different things. Some, some that go deeper into what the what's involved in the company, and like it goes over um, the ages of people uh, that developed the game. It goes over a lot of different, uh, a lot of different stuff, and. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what online functionality could be in this game. Now they already also they already had a demo 
But this is a little bit different. It would be like the first part of the game and save data going over, which we're seeing a lot of. And I appreciate that. I do love that. But as far as online functionality, I'm really kind of miffed at that. I don't understand what they could even be adding here, to be honest with you. Uh, probably, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like, I really don't know. It could be <laughs> some like time challenges, uh, score challenges they send to one another. Or maybe it's an online battle, right? You have your, your characters, you battle against someone else's characters. Simple stuff. But like even, PvP stuff? Yeah, like PvP, but even that, it won't, no one's going to play it. No, no. I mean, there's only been one in the series, but I mean, it's been a single player experience. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can join someone else's game and kind of be part of one of the, maybe one of the party members. But, I mean, to add that in seems like a, a waste. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what to, ugh, what to make of this, to be honest. It's something to be aware of, meaning they might have an ace up their sleeve or something that they might pull out, and it could, there is potential that it could have something interesting. Yeah, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, if anyone has any ideas of what that might be, I'd certainly like to, to hear about it. Obviously, we will see in time. I think that game is scheduled for release this year, so we will we will see. We will see. All right, Bloomberg has a report out. Nintendo slow, and I've seen this everywhere, not just on Bloomberg, but Nintendo is slowly retreating from the mobile gaming universe. I don't know why. But I they, is it money? Is it just monetary? Well, remember, they got into it because the Wii was dead, the Wii U was struggling, and the 3DS wasn't hitting as strong of numbers and was already leaving their the, the peak of sales. So Nintendo across the board was just in a major decline. They needed another mobile device to bring their franchises to in order to remind people, hey, remember our consoles or 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 our branded Nintendo branded gaming systems? Right. Remember those? Remember Mario? Yeah, I remember them. I know, I know what you mean, but I I want to say that uh, I think their first game was Mario Run. No, and, no, what was it? No. It had Wasn't to... it like Tama, Tamadachi life? Well, I'm talking like, I don't know. I, I think having Mario is, uh, there might be some Animal Crossing there. I don't know. But having Didn't Mario, Mario, Mario Run. Before Mario Run? No. See, Mario Run came well into the Switch's, not well into it, but into the Switch's timeline. Mario um, Run? Mario Run, yeah. So you had Mario Run, you had Dragalia Lost, which was later, then you had Fire Emblem, um, Mario Kart... Fire came out before Dragalia, right? Yeah, I don't know what the order was, um, I'm just kind of just off the top of my head. Dragalia Lost, Fire Emblem, Mario Run, Mario Kart Tour was a, a mitigated disaster, um, I... 
don't re oh doc i think there's a dr mario one which was another uh disaster i think they just had two kind of just bad back-to-back -back releases and that might be why they're kind of a little cautious over it are you doing a little bit of um research there yeah i am i'm i'm pretty sure it's tamadachi live yeah i i'm not very familiar with that one um but or not not Tamadachi Life, uh, Mitomo. Okay, so all right, so that's kind of the base off of the the Mies and whatnots. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of like them. Yeah, you're right. Maybe dipping their toe in there, but really not fully getting getting in there. Um, maybe you're afraid to do it. When they did it with Mario, that's their full diving into the pool. Yeah, Mitomo was the social networking game where you use the Mii avatars. Yeah. Then it was Super Mario Run. And then Fire Emblem Heroes. And those two came out pretty close. That's why I wasn't too sure. And they both was, did really well. Yeah. Oh, Mario Run was a letdown for them. Meanwhile, Fire Emblem is that's their most successful one. Is Dragalia Lost? I thought that one was pretty successful as well. Not even close to Fire Emblem. Oh wow. Okay. Not even close. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I mean, they are they are citing monet like I I think in the article here. I'm just trying to say, while other companies' uh, mobile games were booming during the coronavirus pandemic, some of Nintendo's have been on the decline, uh, including Super Mario Run, Mario Kart Tour. Um, just just they just weren't making money, and, and I I don't know. Uh, like you had said, Fire Emblem was making money. Mario Run, I mean, it's an older game. People aren't going to be playing it forever. Um, Dragalia Lost, I I think they they supported it really well. Uh, with continuous, you know, continuous updates. I played it very little. Um, oh, here, here's some numbers. Okay. Sh the Galia loss generated over a hundred million in revenue. Fire Emblem, in its first year, did over three hundred or nearly three hundred million. Oh, okay. So, triple in the first year. Uh, Mario Run did. 56 million in its first year yeah i mean that could that could be just it's a different genre altogether you know it's kind of um just a, a runner you know it's a runner game but um yeah, yeah I, I don't I know how much money you can really milk out of something like that well i i think the problem is the the money scheme that they had set up for each of these games right mario run was a premium game Fire Emblem was free to play with that stamina system yep. and the gotcha mechanic. Uh, Animal Crossing was a more forgiving style free to play game with a kind of fatigue system, but it that it, like I said, it was very forgiving. Dragalia Lost was a bit more like Fire Emblem, except for the fact that it was a franchise that no one's ever heard of. Right. And Dr. Mario World, I believe, was uh, a premium. And then, let's see here. And then you had Mario Kart Tour, which did that weird uh, subscription so, thing. Right. Yeah, so they it's like they... they ran, ran, yeah, it was just, yeah, some whatever subscription-based thing. So it's like they ran the gamut on different types of uh, models, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the two that were really, really... Uh, did well for them were kind of the one that a lot of West, I think a lot of Western uh, people 
find a little scuzzy, schemy, uh, skeezy type. You know what I mean? Oh, where, very. Where in, in Japan, that's they love it. They, they it doesn't it doesn't really bother them at all. Because uh, they, they're duped. Maybe I, I I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but they're called I, whales. It's more it's more forgiving. Um, over there. But it's you're right. For, they're called whales. Whales. What's that? What does that mean? You ever heard the term whales? No, I know what a whale is. Right. The term in... All right, so when you develop these types of uh, free-to-play, pay-to-win type mechanics, right, the companies, when they're developing these types of systems, these types of the more you pay, the more we're going to give you, you know, the more we allow you to cheat the system... But eventually, you're going to have to pay us again because you're going to want to continue to cheat the system because, you know, didn't that first hit feel so good? Yeah, right, right. right. Those, the people that are willing, right, they categorize people in uh, the willingness of people to pay money into these free-to-play things. They categorize them, and the ones that you want are the whales. They are the people that get addicted and hooked but have the money uh, or have access to the money to continue their addiction. They're called whales. Oh, that sounds really predatory. It is. That's why <laughs> I don't play these games, and that's why I hate those that type of monetary system. Uh, and sounds... Nintendo doesn't like it either. They probably don't like the fact that they're calling or called their game, their players, their their consumers, whales. Yeah. I, I think if you just made them all premium or whatever premium with expansions or whatever, I think it would be more forgiving. But, I haven't even heard of the, the whale term. No, I'm I'm old, man. I'm old. Yeah, all the, all the gaming companies, they used to praise uh, or love talking about how uh, how they're trying to, to get as many whales as possible. Catch them whales and all that. Never heard of it. It's all about them whales. Whale, whale, whale. <laughs> all right. Um, so we have a new Super Smash Bros. fighter. This is Johnny Johnny's minute right here. So uh, Sakurai went to in-depth detail, showing off his house, his, the internals of, uh, or some of the internals of his home, and his mastery of Smash, double controller on it and everything, just crazy stuff. Showed off Min Min from Arms as the next, uh, as the first character for the second season or second wave of new fighters. She looks good. Very weird style, play style, just completely different from any of the other Smash characters. All good stuff. Right? So she got announced. That was like a thirty-something plus minute long presentation. Lo and behold, uh, or funny thing is that almost the entire soundtrack of Arms is going to come with her. So when you when you buy her, yeah. you're going to get almost the entire soundtrack that was in a $60 arms launch game. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Kind of funny stuff there. It's crazy that they can dedicate like a 30-minute presentation to just one fighter or whatever however long it is. It's how how detailed and in-depth yeah. they go in, into these things. Well, they they did uh, talk about some other stuff. For example, uh, Joker and Hero Amiibo are going to be released. These are the D. So all the regular Smash characters they got released. All the entire roster of Ultimate now have Amiibo. Now it's just a matter of getting all of the uh, DLC fighters their yep. own Amiibos. I'll be getting so, those. I'll be getting those yeah, for sure. 
So now it's, uh, as I said, it's Joker and Hero. Eventually we'll see uh, a Minmin amiibo at some point. Mm -hmm. So that'll be cool. And and the other DLC characters that have released, like a Banjo, there'll be a Banjo one at some point. That'll be pretty awesome. Uh, and another thing that they showed was, so they also have costumes for the Miis in Smash. So you can dress up your Miis. One of them was Fallout. Vault Boy. You can, so it's got the Vault you can play Vault Boy. What an odd... So this is what Bethesda's been doing. Um, <laughs> just so you guys know, Bethesda's just been making this one costume for Smash Bros. Me characters. Thanks. Well, it, Thanks, Bethesda. That, I, look, that's cool. That's Fallout is officially in a Nintendo game. That is insane. That, that, <laughs> I mean, and it's the perfect one, too. Vault Boy, like, he totally looks like he fits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks like a bobblehead out there. Yeah. Now, the big thing that I just want to draw everyone's attention to, the very, very big thing that no one saw, but I saw it. You I saw it? I paid attention. Oh, boy. Sakurai throws down hints every single time he does some sort of presentation, and he makes mention to certain specific weird things that are just quirky things that people write off as being like Sakurai just being like super weird and, and knowledgeable on, on all things gaming. Uh, I pay attention to, and most of those things turn out to actually be something. Okay. Right. So for example, uh, very early on, he showed Luigi, Luigi's uh, ghost buster vacuum thing in his Luigi's Mansion 3 form, before Luigi's Mansion 3 was even announced. Well before the game was even announced. Okay. Like, I'm talking like half a year to a year after, before the game was even announced. Probably a year. So, and he just inserted that. And no one picked up on it. That it right. was the Poltergeist, whatever, whatever version, because no one knew that there was a new version of the Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Right? But he showed it, right? So he does this. He, he puts in these little... Easter eggs and stuff like that. Well, in this trailer for Min Min, Captain Falcon was featured. And Captain Falcon was making noises as he was eating a bowl of ramen. Oh, yeah. And, and he was, there was some voice work involved there. And Sakurai pointed out that, there has, that they have never had to re-record Captain Falcon's vocal voice work since the very first uh, Smash Brothers game on the Nintendo 64. And this was the first time in the 20 plus years of Smash that they had to re-record Captain Falcon's, uh, or, or record new lines for Captain Falcon for Smash Brothers. So, so, wait. And he mentioned specifically that they had to get the voice actor who did the original Captain Falcon lines, which also, I didn't even know this, happened to be the same voice actor for Vegeta in, in Dragon Ball. Okay, all right. all right. So famous voice actor in Japan. Very famous guy, right? He did Vegeta, right? So obviously he's very famous. Uh, so my takeaway. In one, year my takeaway in one year from now. In one year from now, or very, very soon, <laughs> Maybe even this year, we will get news of a brand new F Zero game. 
That's you, my takeaway. That's your takeaway? That's my takeaway. There's oh, going to be an F-Zero game. I, I, th- I, think, I think you're reaching. I am not reaching <laughs> at all. Sakurai just told me clear as day. They're recording <laughs> brand new. You don't call up uh, this, this famous voice actor. To do a few do, lines. Like, couple of grunts it wasn't wasn't any spoken lines it was like grunts and slurping noises you don't call them up to do that for a 10 i mean the amount of screen time that captain falcon had was probably about like 20 seconds right during this little segment this new segment you don't call this person in this famous voice actor in for something as minuscule as 10 seconds you know a couple of grunts worth of dialogue that don't happen Okay. No, no, no. You know I what get, you called them in for? That and a big giant thing called F Zero. F Zero RPG, racing RPG. Who knows what they're gonna do with it? Who knows? Yeah. Something F Zero. Something anything. I'll take. I'll take F Zero the puzzle game. <laughs> Give it to me. No, F- you. No, F-Zero, you won't. Zero the point and click adventure. Oh, that would be. S zero the visual novel. I will take it. Oh, that would be a total F. Yeah. It would, but I will take it. Please. Oh man. Give it to me. Well, I I hope for your sake that you get it because you have you don't stop talking about it. It's like every time we I talk to you, it's hey, have you played F zero all the time? You, <laughs> and I'm tired of it. <laughs> um. All right, so yeah, that was our our, our Johnny minute for uh, Smash Bros. Yeah. Um, moving on, we have Venture Beat reveals the remaining games coming to Nintendo Switch EA. Now we did discuss this last week, and we were wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, we were. Well, I I think we were part. I was. I might have hit on one of them, but anyway, uh, we have Burnout Paradise, FIFA Twenty One, uh, Legend uh, Edition, whatever it is. Like, uh, what is it called? Um, Legacy. Legacy Edition, whatever it is. Uh, generic FIFA 21. Uh, Apex Legends, Lost in Random, uh, a Velen Studios game, which is kind of vague. Um, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit was, I did mention Need for Speed. And then we have uh, Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville. Now, I am reading an article, on, again, on my Nintendo News. EA recently announced that it's bringing seven titles to Nintendo Switch console over the next year and now Jeff Grubb from VentureBeat has revealed the final three games I think the final three was the Velen Studios game, Need for Speed yep. and Plants vs. Zombies so yep. the, the list that it came out were the seven games what are your thoughts? well obviously the big one is what is this Velen Studios game? That's a big giant question mark. Yep. Uh, the Lost in Random seems as we saw, very interesting because they showed that off during their during their thing. So there's a whole lot of questions on Lost and Random. It, it was that Tim Burton-y style yeah. looking game, right? Yep. So that could be in- a very interesting. I mentioned that there needed to be some racing games on Switch because that seemed like a big missing spot. And I guess EA is paying attention because they're bringing not one but two racing games in two very big racing games. Burnout Paradise is or was a big one back in the prior gen, and Need for Speed is probably one of the biggest racing franchises out there. Uh, just pop- popularity-wise, it's pretty big. 
And then you have Plants vs. Zombies. Great. I love Plants vs. Zombies. I love yeah. that franchise. Yeah, I think that's actually a game that my son could probably get into as well. Um, now that, that's the 3D shooter one, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So, not I, I prefer the Tower Defense Plants vs. Zombies games, but I, I like the quirky humor of Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah. It, it's really it's really interesting that that universe. Now I'm trying to look up Velen Studios and and then see what they've um, developed, and I'm not coming up with much on their website. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if you're able to get anything other than. Oh, I I will totally find something. Anyway, at some point I just wanted to get a good idea or somewhat of an idea as to what they worked on. Just to see if um if we could kind of maybe put on our thinking caps and see or have so a so it looks like Velen is a support style studio, but they got some stuff under their belt. So they contributed to. Let me see if they're gonna re-mention this. Uh, let's see. Their team members have created, developed, and contributed to many critically acclaimed franchises such as Guitar Hero, mm. Uncharted, Skylanders, Rock Band, Super Mario Maker, Crash Bandicoot, Metroid Prime, Destiny, and many more. Okay, so yeah, there's, we could get a uh, rhythm game like Rock Band, or we can get I don't think we're not going to get an RPG maker, but um, they're, they're all over the place. Yeah, they're they're everywhere. And it says also on their website, right, we are working on stylish original IP, as well as building our own technology, including both hardware and software, to bring new forms of play to the gaming community. We're excited to share more information about our projects over the upcoming year. So it's coming out soon, because we know it's coming out sometime within the next year. Mm -hmm. Right, and original IP listed right on their website. So this is a brand new property. Yeah, it could be. It could be that. That's what it's leaning leaning towards. That'll be all right. I'm okay with original stuff. Oh, oh, okay. So it looks like this was so okay. So this studio is pretty much built from what used to be Vicarious Vision. And that means... Well, Vicarious Visions, let's see what they made. Uh, they made... Let me try to find some big games that they made. Uh, Spider-Man, back in 2000. Uh, is that the terrible Spider-Man where you, you like you shoot your web into the clouds and you continue to swing forever and ever? Well, some people actually praise it. Uh, Spider-Man 2 on PlayStation. Let me go over to Game Boy Advance. They did uh, Tony Hawk game on Game Boy Advance. The Tony Hawk games. Uh, let's see. They did Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast for the GameCube, so the port the PC game port to console. Uh, let's see. Crash 2 for Game Boy Advance. I mean, they, they got a lot of stuff. It looks like they do a lot of porting work. A lot of stuff. 
It doesn't look like they did much in the way of original IPs, though. But wow, did they just bring a lot of games out. All right. Let me try to see what their last few games were. They brought Destiny 2, They or they assisted with Destiny, Destiny 2 on Windows. Skylanders, they did... They pretty much did Skylanders, lots of Skylanders. That might have been the game that they uh, that they worked on. Skylanders, lots of Guitar Hero, some Transformers games. Just way too many Guitar Hero. Way too many different Hero. things to like to try and nail down what they're you know what are they good at you know. Well, they all right. So this was the Spider-Man team, the the, the older Spider-Man game, the Spider-Man team, the Tony Hawk team. The and then the Skylanders and Guitar Hero <laughs> stuff. That's their bread and butter. Was all of those things. They also okay. oh, they actually also did uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Oh, okay. Yeah, they've done those, a lot of stuff. They've done way too many things to pin something down. This is not going to work. They had, they had their hand on Doom Three. <laughs> like, yeah, they've done so much stuff. So these are pros. I don't they know are pros. The I guess they have like a couple of Metroid team members. Yeah, maybe. That's I'm excited because you have a team of people that are clearly talented. They've done everything in the kitchen sink, and now they're working on their own original IP. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Very, very cool. Good stuff. All right. Next, we have listener questions. All right, moving on to upcoming RPGs. We have... Okay, there are no listener questions. I'm, I was just too lazy to ask for them. Um, but we got plenty of content, so we, we're not pressed for that. Uh, upcoming RPG, we have one, The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 3, coming out June 30th. Um, we've mentioned this game many times. There is a demo up on the eShop. You can certainly have a peek at that. I believe the progress does carry over. Um, you may be a little bit lost. You may have to do some homework on Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2. Um, but this will give you a good idea as to see if you'll like it or not. And that's, and that's it. That's it. All right, but for our soup du jour here, our main topic, um, main. the main thing, um, main point of discussion, you probably see it in the in the in the title here. Um, but yeah, um, our main topic is our best trilogy in an RPG. Um, trilogy best RPG trilogy. Best what? A, yes. Yes. So you're so much learned than I am. Uh, <laughs> um, this is a, of all time. Of ever. Of ever. And we kind of base this with an emphasis on how well does it execute on being a trilogy. Yeah. Um so this there there needs to be some uh narrative connection between the games. Uh there are many games um where they just that doesn't doesn't happen. Uh, for example, um, Bioshock, the collection, you're playing that. Bioshock 1 and 2 certainly may have some sort of connection. Um, this is, it's not an RPG, I'm just, just saying. Uh, but Infinite, no, I'm sorry, that is, that is a very bad example, isn't it? Well, look, Bioshock 1, because we didn't put it on this list, because it didn't qualify because of the connected, uh, a, a more deliberately connected story. Connectivity between yeah. the three games, right? Yep, yep, now, yep. Yes, there is some degree, like, you can go into Rapture from the DLC of 
uh, Bioshock Infinite, which therefore kind of makes it a connected world, but that kind of doesn't count, right? Each story is very separate from one another. Bioshock 1 and 2, not so much there, but definitely Bioshock Infinite and the others. Yeah. There's a difference there. So that is an example, right? So we're trying to find, right, connect a connection, a clear-cut connection. You don't need to have the same characters, but we need to have a connection between, you know, the first game, the second game, and the third game. Right. And obviously, for example, take Star Wars as an example, right? The trilogy doesn't have to be the very first one in there, like episode one. It's the trilogy mm-hmm. in Star Wars occurs multiple times, so it could be a trilogy that is deep into a uh, a franchise, right? It could have been the fifth game, and it just so happens to be that you know five, six, seven, all collectively formed a trilogy. Mm-hmm. We've had numerous instances of this galore. There's some there's some oddballs where we have some <laughs> weird connected numbers that are actually forming. Uh, uh, trilogies. Some games decide to form multiple trilogies within the within the franchise. It's we, we we yeah, we did do uh, quite a bit of research uh, in preparation for this, and and I'm I'm sure we still missed maybe yeah. something, or maybe there you feel like there's something um, that should be in this list. But anyway, here we go. Um, we're going in order. Um, going backwards here. All right. Yeah, back back. And should we do the honorable mention? Yeah, why? Yeah, why don't we do that? We'll do the honorable mention. So the honorable mention. Um, are we going honorable mention? Yes, that's the oh. only one. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, you're oh, right. oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. So honorable <laughs> mention, and then sub honorable mention. So, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. All right. So Metroid Prime series is an honorable mention, mostly because Johnny and I don't agree on the RPG ness of it, basically. Yeah, it well, the big thing is it's classified as an action. We're not disputing action, nope. adventure, right? Yeah, yeah. And adventure, both Gio and I feel, is a pointless genre of a game because every single RPG you ever play is always an adventure game. Tip, yeah, yeah. So it it's just it's just weird. Uh, but obviously we're not. We're not saying it's an RPG. We're just mentioning because it does war. There are RPG, certainly RPG elements in there. There is a very good story. It does connect, etc. But just an honorable mention. So yeah. So the Metro Prime series, and then we have um, uh, a few other series where we're going to the way back time machine. Um, in yeah. these, and, the OGs. And yeah, these are definitely the OGs, which we owe a lot of what we do today. To, especially in the RPG world, to these guys, but I myself have never played it. Maybe you've dipped your toes in in, in these games, but not enough to even really talk enough about it. Yeah. Um. But we have Might and Magic, three, four, and five, and then we have two uh, trilogies in the Wizardry series: uh, one, two, and three, and then six, seven, and eight. So there are two of them there, and then Ultima actually has three trilogies. So, there's a lot going on in those. And again, I've never played any of those games. I don't know that I'm going to go back in time to play them, but that's that. That's them there. Then we'll go into the, kind of the the modern 
I, I won't call it. Oh yeah, modern era. Yeah, console gaming or handheld, <laughs> or or at least have seen played right. or or are very familiar with because we we could research it very thoroughly. Right? Um, so and also I just want to iterate that Ultima is probably the one that we like tip the hat nod and say like hey you without you rpgs probably wouldn't exist right thank you ultima thank you thank you ultima all right (laughs) we don't have these in numbers one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen games we got or series trilogies uh number thirteen i've never played it I, i can't even really comment on it so i had to put a lot of trust into johnny Yep. I I don't know that I want to do it, but I did it anyway. Golden Sun. Golden Sun series. Now, it's not in a number order. There's some weird naming convention here. I don't even know what's going on, to be honest with you. Uh, I do know it is something that I would love to try and play at some point. If I ever have zero things to do. Uh, Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... I would say the first one is definitely worth playing because it did some very interesting stuff uh, the first time through. Uh, The games are Golden Sun, Golden Sun The Lost Age, which was the sequel, and then the third one is Golden Sun Dark Dawn, which was on the Nintendo DS. And uh, I never played the third one, but I did play the first two. Uh, And it's, uh, it's a very traditional JRPG romp turn-based combat they had this cool system where you get these uh gins where you can equip them uh and each gin had a different element and you could sort of equip more or less of certain elements of gins and you can combine them in different ways that would give you access to different powers and do uh different types of attacks also you could there was another big thing where you had abilities that allowed and you would gain new abilities that allowed you to interact with the world uh the dungeons mostly the dungeons in ways that gave you access to new areas so so it was very big in it wasn't necessarily platforming but it was more so puzzle solving of platforms yep in order to gain access to different environments so there was a lot of puzzle solving elements in there where you're like you had like one spell, it was like a sand, I think it was like a sand spell or something, or an earth spell where you summoned a hand and then that hand could then push blocks. So there was a lot of push block puzzles oh, okay. and, and stuff like that, right? Like like just using your spells and abilities in order to like do... Po- Pokemon, do- Pokemon does a little bit of that, right? Yeah, but uh, I would say Golden Sun probably does it the most. It's it's actually quite puzzly. Mm. It it uh and it's and it's constant where you're always trying to your the next room you go into boom there's more puzzles to solve. Uh, in the meantime, you run around randomly and you get random battles. So we all love random battles. No, we don't. So that's number thirteen. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, going on to more games I haven't played. <laughs> and maybe this one should have been number thirteen. You're right. It definitely should have. We, you know. <laughs> We're not so smart sometimes. Alright, so we have Final Fantasy 13. Um, 13-1, 13-2, 13-3. A complete trilogy. Excellent. They have sub-names. 
I, I don't know their sub names. I don't know their sub names either. I'll look them up. One, two, and three. Uh, Final Fantasy uh, 13. Now, I, 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 I think Final Fantasy 13, like the like the first one there, I thought it reviewed pretty well, actually. Am I, am I it, wrong in that? Uh, yeah, you're kind of wrong. It did all right. I mean, it. I mean, your well and my well are very two very different. <laughs> wells. I, I will say that. Uh, it, it's on the low eights, so eighty three percent on Metacritic, eighty two percent. Uh, that's PS three and three sixty respectively. On PC, it got a sixty five. Wow. So it depends on where you go. It's it's on the low end of great. Uh, obviously, don't do the PC version, but the other ones are are great enough. Yeah, I wonder what happened there. Yeah, and if you're wondering what the games in the franchise are, oh, I had the list. Never mind. Keep talking. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, you um, I mean, I don't consider them them bad games with those those scores. I do really wish I had played these games because I I think I I. I might even like them. I, I don't know why. I don't know why you don't like them. You seem to not like much of anything. I don't know. I don't. Know. <laughs> it, it is thirteen two, and then uh, the sequel to the sequel was Lightning Returns: Colon Final Fantasy thirteen. Oh, all right. So they kind of yeah. And I, I saw my brother play and beat uh, the first in the. Ooh, I don't know if he did 13-2 or Lightning Returns. I'm not sure which one he did, but he did one of the sequels. Uh, but I'm not sure which one. But in each one, you're playing as Lightning. And the game is weird. It's very weird. You don't, uh, this, I know one of the sequels, you're not playing as Lightning for a lot of it, and that's part of the story. But the gameplay was turn-based, and it had this, I guess you're changing your job on the fly as you're doing combat. It was weird. I don't know. I, I I think um, I'm looking at gameplay of the the first one here, and it doesn't look bad at all. Um, in fact, it no, almost it, it, it almost looks like dare I say it, the Final Seven Final Fantasy Seven remake. Am I am I wrong in that? The way it's kind of looks. No, you're not. Yeah. So yeah, I would I would say Final Fantasy VII remake is a combination of Final Fantasy fifteen and thirteen there you combat go. Okay. systems. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I had mentioned, like visually it looks really really good. So yeah, th there was a lot of problems with that game. The game uh, thirteen, thirteen had issues with just how linear it was. Half the game, right? The original game, very yeah. linear, and then it finally opens up and. How it opens up that open world part, it wasn't interesting at all. It was like very flat, big green, open, kind of like a Jurassic Parky. You know, it looked <laughs> like you're you're in like a big giant dinosaur looking environment, but it was like big, open, and kind of empty. There wasn't too much going on in there. And yeah, you could free roam, and there was a lot of stuff in there, but it was kind of bland and empty looking. So it it suffered from what Dragon Age Inquisition did. Where there was a lot of space, but there was nothing happening. It wasn't interesting well, at all. 
I can't I can't account for all the big open space, but what I can say is that you don't make an RPG that is that linear and expect it to turn heads in any significant way. And then also with the sequels and how they how they handle the character right. Lightning is actually a really cool character, and some of the other characters are kind of cool, but Lightning was definitely one of the best of the characters, and then you're not playing as Lightning in X2, uh, or 13-2. Yeah. Um, or Lightning Returns. Can't remember which one it was. Sorry. Yeah. Because I never played him. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think v- visually they, they, look, they look good, but that's all I have to go on. Um, and other people playing them, so. Yeah. And when it comes to stuff like this, right, when our research can only get us so far, right, we rely on things like average critic scores and stuff like that to sort of get a more objective opinion yeah. on how to rank these games. It's so, tough because. In case you're wondering. We can't play every game. <laughs> we can't play them all, so we rely on. Uh, assistance from Metacritic and OpenCritic and other things like that. Yeah. Thank you for that. That uh, that information. All right. So then we have eleven. We have Fable. Uh, the Fable series one, two, and three. Um, did you ha- play any of the Fable games? Uh, this is another game that I just saw one of my brothers play through and watched. It. It's a very British humor comedy-esque, light-hearted, high-fantasy-style game. I I liked what it was doing. I just never got around to actually playing them. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the first one. Um, The second one had... It, I, I felt was very... It was very broken game, in my opinion. Um, The third one, I didn't touch at all because of how much I disliked the second game uh the second game got promised to have a lot of things um it was um i don't remember the the dude's name where he just overpromised and just the game just underdelivered uh kind of like what Sean Murray did with No Man's Sky this guy was was did it first <laughs> um they also made the same game uh black as the black and white pc game anyway um yeah, Fable was a good action um, hack and slash RPG. It had a decent decent story. It it didn't take itself too seriously, um, but um, yeah, it was it, it was Xbox exclusive. Uh, with with the second one again, this is again where I dropped off. The second one promised multiplayer or co op, and the way your uh, friend would join, he would just join as an orb. Um, so on your screen, this orb is is following you along, and attacking things or look like not really attacking things. It was just done so poorly. It wasn't even like an avatar. It was this glowing orb. It just looked. It was so dumb. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it's it's a very straightforward action adventure RPG. Nothing, nothing really really stands out there well i i think the choice the sort of decision making between going good or evil i thought that was certainly unique you mentioned it right but it, and uh man I, w- I wish i could remember that developer that you're 
talking about. I wish I could remember. But the studio was Linehead Studios, right? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah it was Linehead. I don't remember the guy. I don't know if, yeah, if you can picture was... him. But man, he uh, and he was no, he was notorious for this. I think he did it with Albion. Was Albion online? I think he did it for that too. Um, what the good and evil stuff? Not the good and evil. Uh, but that was black. That was the game, black and white. That was black and white, good and evil. Well, black and white and Fable. Fable had it too. Right, right, right. But Albion online. I think there was some part in that as well. He also did Milo. Uh, Peter Molyneux is his name. There we go. That's the name. Oh, man. This guy, I despised him. <laughs> Despise him. Uh, mostly because of, again, and it wasn't, it probably wasn't him. He's just trying to sell a game, right? But, but there was, there was some really cool, he did, he did overpromise, right? As you mentioned. But he, Fable and Fable 2, they, it did some very ambitious stuff, some very immersive stuff that you could do, and interactive stuff where you could get your own house. Could mm-hmm. you could do more than just that too? You could like own lots of stuff and, right. and be in control of stuff, especially in Fable Two. Yeah, I I broke that game um, because all you needed was to, I think you could rent your house, right? Uh, and all you had to do was change the date and time on your console, and you would get. <laughs> All, all that money um so i think that took a lot of the fun out of it too <laughs> um but that was uh that was way after i was just tired of playing as with my friends as orbs that was i'll never forget i'll never forgive him either for that Ugh, so mad about it anyway fable fable series uh it's also just nightmares. They're just creeping in. Number ten. Okay. Number ten. Let's get on now track. Yeah, let's get on track here. Games get better. Uh, the, the banner. banner the banner saga series. Yeah. Uh, a true continuation, like legitimate continuation yeah. from like you could play this game from one to three, and it it'd be a se- like seamless. And it is the modern day Oregon Trail, as you've said. And your choices, your choices matter. The combat is is really, um, you know, maybe hit or miss with some people. It's all right. It gets the job done. Yeah. Um, but a, a true legitimate yep. trilogy. And, and it it does the right thing. You get a satisfying conclusion at the end of each major episode of the saga. Each you know game right, mm-hmm. so you're getting definitive tales, and you're getting a longer saga along with that. So just a very solid example of what we are expecting for an RPG trilogy experience. Right, and even if you were to jump in for whatever reason to jump into number two or three. You're given the opportunity to set your decisions for what was made in the prior uh, game, so you don't have to go in complete order. Although I recommend it, um, but yeah, they, they that's great that they've given you that opportunity to set the story in a sense. Yep. Number nine, I I I think I was gonna fight you on this one, but I didn't <laughs> because I don't know. Number nine, Kingdom Hearts series or trilogy there's just so many of these i don't even know where to start like there's 
Kingdom right. Hearts 2, 2.5, 2.2. Like, I don't even know what the heck is going on. But, but it I'm, is a trilogy. And so I'm we, speaking from someone who hasn't played them, so. Yeah, yeah. So so we throw out, you know, all these uh, offshoots and side stories, even though a lot of them are kind of important, right? Uh, we just say, hey, you can play this as a trilogy. It is a trilogy, right? One, two, and three. It definitely is a trilogy. It's all a connected story, and yeah, you'll miss a lot of story stuff if you don't play it all and get all the, you know, number you know dreams into memories and all those stuff but it is there and it does execute on it finally executed on ending that trilogy in a particularly satisfying way especially for fans of it it does action combat pretty well yeah in the game uh, and it gets pretty wacky with how it plays it's got the whole disney tie-in of things so you got lots of awesome i mean when it comes to ever wanting to play like a Disney RPG, that like the Smash Brothers RPG of mm. Disney, this is it, right? The Square Enix side of stuff isn't as it's still there, but there's way more Disney, I would I believe, more Disney stuff to appreciate within this all the way throughout. Mm -hmm. Multiple kingdoms they going through, you get pretty much the whole smorgasbord of of awesome fantastical Disney characters in there, so yeah, yeah. It, the story it don't is. Make sense, though. What's that? The story don't make sense though. <laughs> it's bonkers. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. It's out, it's out of there. Yeah, I mean, I do want to get into it. It's just, I don't know. I, I just don't know where to begin. <laughs> That's. I guess I got to start at one. I don't. This is one example where, where I'm not sure if they planned the story to be a trilogy from the first one. Right. I think after the the success of the first one, I think they started to they started to plan and turn the remainder of it into a trilogy plus weird offshoots. Right. But I think the first one may not have initially been conceived as a trilogy, kind of like the Matrix. Where Matrix 1 is kind of standalone with potential for for obvious sequels, but they didn't know where they were going to head, and then right. they wrote the rest. Right? So it was like a proof of concept, and then they kind of went on with it. Well, more more than just proof of concept, right? No, no, like you gotta you gotta test the waters. You gotta see what's going on. See if you yeah. people will like it, appreciate it for what it is. Especially yep. with something like the Matrix, or as bonkers as Kingdom Hearts. Like you're blending a lot of different things. Like, are people going to actually enjoy it? And obviously they did, so they went on and on and on. All right, number eight, the Legend of Heroes trilogies. Um, now we did speak of one game coming out earlier in this episode. Now, the Legend of Heroes has uh, one, two, three trilogies right now, uh, with Cold Steel Four coming out that will end the trilogy, but. We have The Legend of Heroes 2, Prophecy of the Moonlight Witch, The Legend of Heroes, A Tear of Vermilion, then Legends of Heroes 3, Song of the Ocean, and that is the Gagarv trilogy, or the sub-series trilogy. This gets really convoluted, guys. Yep. <laughs> uh, so that's in the one sub-series in 
the Legend of Heroes. Then we have the Trails in the Skies, or Trails in the Sky um, subseries of the Legend of Heroes. So Legend of Hero Trails in the Sky, Legend of Hero Trails in the Sky SC, and then we have Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky the Third. And I think that's the probably the better example of of the multiple trilogies that are in the Legend of Heroes, but I think that's the best one to sort of really shine as an excellent example of a trilogy because yes you really of all the series out there like this is one of the ones where you really do have to pay play the first one the second one and then the third one because the stories are going to tie into each other they are continuous they you kind of can't play one without the other and the way that they write those stories in those games, it, it is very well thought out. Not just the characters and the, the plot, but more so the world itself and what's going on within that world. It feels very lived in, mm-hmm. in a strong way. You could, so. you could say the same thing for the Trails of Cold Steel as well. I think you need to play or need to have the understanding of the previous um, sure. entry, right? So you have the uh, Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel, then you have Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 2, then you have the third iteration, um, and then you also have the fourth iteration coming out maybe this year. Um, or actually, it is coming out this year. So you have three sub-series in the Legend of Heroes series. It's quite a number of them. Um, yeah, and they they've been all actually only... I'm going to call this recently because I'm so old, it seems recently. So from uh, 2006 or 2005 on, they have three trilogies in there. That's insane. That's an insane number of games. Or English released, I'm sorry. Yep. That's nuts. All right. Uh, Next. This is all you, my friend. Number seven. Yeah, number seven, Castlevania. And this is a, a bit more of a looser connection uh, between games, but there is multiple games within the Castlevania franchise that will flow into one another. As an example, uh, many people know that Rondo of Blood flows into Symphony of the Night. But I'm not talking about Rondo of Blood because that's not a RPG, but what I am saying is Symphony of the Night and Alucard becomes a recurring character and, for example, Alucard appeared way back when with Trevor back in Castlevania 3. So Alucard appears also, you know, not only in the past, but in the future events that happen. And another tying together character is Dracula himself and death and m- many other recurring things. But I will say that the connection that I'm going to draw, especially on the RPG side, is Castlevania Symphony of Night along with Ari of Sorrow and then Dawn of Sorrow. Now, Ari of Sorrow and Dora of Sorrow, those are pretty obvious sequels to one another can, uh, and tie into one another. But Alucard actually becomes a uh, character that you are going to interact with in multiple ways uh, in Aria of Sorrow. Uh, and it's you, you're kind of not aware that you're actually talking with Alucard uh, at first. And... In order to understand who Alucard is, you gotta play Symphony of Night to understand who he is as a character and why he's out to to kill Dracula as much as everyone else is. 
and in Ari of Sorrow, there is no Dracula. For reasons that Dracula got killed, finally, by a prior Belmont. So that kind of ties into stuff. Uh, because why would Alucard even be there uh, to investigate if his, you know, if Dracula was actually dead, right? So that, mm -hmm. that becomes all things that are creating this connection. Now, right. <clears throat> it's a little bit, you could argue it's a little bit of a stretch. So... <laughs> Uh, I can kind of see that uh, being because this is definitely not a clear cut, uh, well thought out trilogy, but this is sort of me cutting definitely definite connect a connected storyline. I mean, the Castlevania timelines out there, you can research it. You know that all these characters interact with one another in multiple ways, depending on which characters you're talking about. So there are connections, clear connections. And I'm just picking one string of connections and they are pretty uh pretty tightly knit to a certain degree and i am placing that as a trilogy and saying boom there is a trilogy and there we go uh, <laughs> yeah so basically the the fact that you play as alucard right and then he appears in as an npc right in aria and dawn of sorrow yeah yeah that yeah. that's your connection well and dracula is a big connection uh, okay yeah well so, yeah so. And then the tie-in with, with some of the other characters. So that that's my thing. Look, if it's too loose of a, of a tie-in, I get it. But it kind of qualifies. In fact, that those games are just so good. They're yeah, just right. So good. Uh, when when did I don't know I don't remember when we mentioned it, but um, was it Ario Sorrow that was probably one of the better or best uh, Castlevania games? It's it's one of the best, yeah. Ario yeah. Sorrow is absolutely one of the best. I would place Ario Sorrow above Symphony of the Night. Yeah. Um. Oof. It's real close. I probably yeah, would. I think it was we were discussing someone else's list, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Castlevania. Nice. Um. Next, number six, the Xena Saga series. Now, do we yeah. have the names of these guys here? Yeah. yeah. Episode, Episode one, yeah. two, and three. And now, there were a couple of offshoots, I think, or or recompilations, but were those obviously don't count. Episode one, two, and three. Okay, these are games. These yep. are more games that I want to play. Yeah, yeah, it, all on PS2, and sadly, it's it it's kind of ugly to look at nowadays. But man, was it some sort of magic uh, back then when you could first experience it. Uh, it it is so beloved that uh, characters in the Xeno Saga uh, appeared in Xenoblade uh, games. Um, you're primarily talking two, right? I'm talking about that special blade. Yes, in two. Okay, in two. Yep. Yeah, yep. Which I got like in my first shot. It was crazy. Yeah, you're you, got, you're rolled high. Real I got high. so lucky. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are games I've always wanted to play and I know I need to, I mean, there are many games I need to play, uh, but put these at least, I think one or one or two are the better ones. I'm not entirely sure. Now, now the, the reason why this one is so high on list, right? Number six is the story, the, and the, the connectedness it is, how connected it is between each of the episodes and how well realized holistically that it is. 
Mm-hmm. It, this, is, this is a fantastic trilogy, RPG trilogy package. Like, absolutely fantastic. It may not be the best RPG, but as a trilogy, as a fully realized trilogy, this is one of the best examples out there. I gotta get it. Gotta get something to do with these. I gotta figure out how to play them. Yep. All right, All right cool. So now we're at number five. Number five. Number five. Number five. Okay, and that was, I'll that was bad. You give it to me. Nice. All right. You can, give, you can give it back to me if you want. No, that's all right. Uh, number five, we have the D- 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 Diablo series. Um, yep. Yeah, Diablo. I, I, I have very little experience with Diablo uh, 1. Uh, Diablo 2, um, put a little bit of time in. Diablo 3, I put a ton of time in. Now, their stories, I think we've mentioned this um, off, off, off air, I guess we could call it. Their, their stories are, well, at least I'll say, are very thin, but they are cohesive. They do make I don't sense. Think at all. You don't think so? No. I uh, I don't know. I, I, I so Diablo one and two are are the stories concise and and more limited in scope? Absolutely. Two, it really branches so I, I played and beat them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is very focused. Storyline ones, right? There's this one town, Tristram. It's you know, there's there's something plaguing it. Uh, the the chapel thing that you're going into the basements of. Uh, you know, something dark and sinister lurks in the in the depths within, and you gotta cleanse it. You the you know the the mage wizard priest thief rogue. Oh, so it was like rogue warrior oh. or rogue. Fighter and Wizard, I think, are the three. Anyway, I, I forgot what the three original classes. Players were. can play as warrior, warriors, rogues, which are archers, source and sor- or sorcerer. Sorcerer, all right. Wizard, sorcerer, same thing. Close enough. Anyway, uh, the story, as I said, it it was pretty basic, but it was focused, and it was immersive as a very big thing. Voice acting. Right, mm-hmm. this not this is during a time where games, video games, you know, back in the mid '90s, games did not have voice acting very often, and every single character, every single NPC was voice acted in this game, and all the quests you'd get, uh, all fully voiced. It was just kind of a pleasure to like listen instead of read the dialogue, get these quests, explore this crazy randomized uh, maze of of dungeon delving stuff and get random loot and stuff like that. Awesome stuff. Then Diablo 2 did that. Took place immediately after Diablo 1. Just immediately. And runs forward with the story. And continues that darker tone, but really ups the ante on the scope of the story and increases the epicness. And now instead of being uh, being taking place in just one location... You travel, you kind of travel the world and get to experience multiple uh, places, you know, a desert, a jungle, right? Tristram mm-hmm. itself and yep. the surrounding area, uh, the barbarian, the weird Viking bar- barbarian people. Uh, you get to go to their lands and stuff like that. It's just, it, it's, it adds a sense of, a bigger sense of adventure, grander adventure, but also keeps the story simple yet dark and continues immediately as i said just just 
directly continues from Diablo 1. And then Diablo 2 ends in a very unique way and probably to its detriment of how Diablo 2 ended, Diablo 3 picks up more or less, but it's difficult to pick up from the end of Diablo 2, but it does. And it continues that story. Unfortunately, Diablo 3 drops the ball pretty significantly storyline-wise. And and that's where the majority of my play time was, right? It was with Diablo 3. Um, yeah. But, um... So yeah, that that again, that's my experience narratively with it, and it just it was just wasn't there for me. Um, where where it exceeds, I I enjoyed the gameplay. Um, in in three, I I love I love getting that that random loot, the dungeon diving there. Um, I love it, I love it. But um, yeah, it's interesting to hear how how they all continue like that because I did I had no idea to be honest with you. Yeah, it's all about that that soul stone, soul gem, and then you just stick it right in your forehead. <laughs> Great. Nice. That's Diablo. Number four. The Witcher. The Witcher series, um, again, it's been the, the same same developer um has put it on and I I really in like this is there's just the stories of Geralt. So you're it's it's just like you got a, a he's he's a main character in a book and that's it. You're just reading a bunch of his his stories and there is an overarching kind of uh narrative between them all. Um I think it's a little maybe a little looser. Not in like they're not really straight continuing, but they are all stories from Geralt's point point of view um now as far as um i i think the witcher 3 stands out in a lot of people's eyes although the other games aren't aren't bad at all um but i but what i think is really holding up the series is is the witcher 3 the most most recent one absolutely and um you know i i just it's just a i I i've read the books right and with the way the books are, it's just a classic. It's like um, uh, who who done it, right? So you're you're like all the mysteries uh, of a of a quest. You see this a lot in The Witcher Three, where um, you you take a a monster hunting quest off of the board, and you just go and research. Like you talk to the quest giver, he gives you his story. It turns out it's not really what's going on. You you do a little more investigating. And then you have to figure out how to defeat this monster or not defeat the monster. There's a lot of that going on in the Witcher series. I think just in general, they all tell stories very, very well. Um, and that's from beginning to end one, two, and three. Yeah. I, I think the only reason why the Witcher doesn't uh, go much higher is that, you know, being at number four, is that it doesn't... the the bigger narrative of right. what is demanded of a trilogy, right? Something that goes beyond just one major story iteration. The bigger narrative just isn't, it kind of takes a little bit of a backseat. Mm -hmm. Whereas, whereas in some of these other ones, the bigger narrative is going to be very interesting. 
uh, you are going to be engaged into that bigger narrative. You're buying in. You buy into one, you're going to buy into the others. That, that's kind of what I'm getting at. You, right. Because you enjoyed that one, you know, the, the, the first episode one or the first iteration of the story, you enjoyed it so much that you want to go in and continue learning almost potentially where you left off, right? Continue mm-hmm. experiencing that world and those characters and that grander mystery, whatever it may be, uh, and continue along with that to, to reach a more, an even more satisfying conclusion. Right. Uh, and with The Witcher, it kind of just falls a little short on on that as opposed to some of these others. I agree. I agree. That's why, again, like you said, we we docked it a little bit. We did. Yeah. Um, you could almost almost say the same thing for the next game, um, meaning it doesn't have that overarching narrative, but you just got to do a little diving for it. Number three, a lot of diving. Yeah, number three, uh, Dark Souls. Uh, Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3. And again, you have to do a little, uh, a little diving, a lot of diving, or just read every single item description down to the sword that you carry. Like everything is, everything is laid out. Everything is there. It's just how you discover it, or if you even want to discover it. And it, it's cryptic, and you kind of have to piece it together. It's t- it can be tough that way too. Yeah, but but there is, and this is where a lot of your learning of the world is actually probably best done through YouTube and just looking up other people's deep dives into the lore and mythos of Dark Souls. And you that's when you really get to appreciate the depth, uh, the significance of, of the, how it continues, how there's this weird evil thing that is taking a glorious land and and run by you know king a king or or someone of of power or significance and then just causes them to rot uh to the point of being just this sad uh almost deplorable form of what they used to be right uh and it's up to you to sort of put to end them and then you're presented with the notion of, hey, this could happen again. This is a cycle. Mm-hmm. And you have a choice to make at the end of all three Dark Souls games as to, as to how you handle that cycle. And it doesn't get on, it, it doesn't, that cycle continues and continues and continues until you get to Dark Souls 3, where you finally, it has continued on for too long that something ends up changing and the fact that they incorporated that into into that way that whole metaphor that they baked into this overall this overbrain this this branching narrative that that metaphor that's what makes it significant yeah hard to find hard to understand obtuse and cryptic but that's what it is it, it, it takes is a lot of effort to get to it. It is where it is. And if, if you do do some of the homework or if you do the homework or if you do the work yourself and figuring it out and piecing it out, man, it is a it is a fantastic, really interesting story. Um it's just you're right, like you had said, it's obtuse, it's kinda hard to follow sometimes. Um yep. but it's there in beats. Um it gets you it gets you by. If you do nothing um it, it'll you'll get by 
uh, and, and kind of figure it all out uh, without talking to, or you have to talk to NPCs, really. It's so hard not to. Um, you got to get part, some of the story from them. But I'm talking like the minutia, like in the details of the items. Um, if, yeah. you, if you don't do a lot of that, you, you'll get by. You'll be fine. Um, it's just there's a lot of missing details that, you, that, that are in those uh, item descriptions. But a, but a big thing it does is it if the story, you know, being the story is light on how it, it's not in your face, right? It's not it's not forcing you to watch a cutscene uh, type thing over and over and over again and, and experience lots of character dialogue. You have to you have to explore and find it. But what it does do is the world and how it's presented and the, and the notion of the dead and undead and and all of that. It's it's all a ongoing theme, mm-hmm. so it gets familiar with the with the second one, with the third one. It it just you know that there is something cyclical happening. I've even seen theories on Dark Souls. You can get really caught up in the rabbit hole on YouTube with this, um, but okay. I've seen theories in the way even the world was built and how it loops back on itself. Where where that's significant, like things things like that, um, it drives people nuts in trying to figure it out. But like just like tiny details like that, uh, the way the world was built and how you progress through it, um, in whatever order you're going through means something. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's just insane. And then you combine all of that with uh, one of the best, you know, trilogy of games. Right, each game is a ballpark. Home run, you know. Oh yeah. Out of the park, home run. They're all every good. single one of those three games. So they're all very good. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. Dark Souls. I, I I absolutely love Dark Souls. Um, number two, I, I am out on this one. Okay, so I will speak <laughs> on this. I, I mentioned it a good deal with uh, the uh, episode seven iteration of this series. So this series is the known as the Ogre Battle Saga. There are five games, but only three of them are actual mainline entries, and that is Episode 5, Episode 6, and Episode 7. And uh, all three of those are all continuous of one another, and characters that appear in Episode 5 will also appear in uh, Episode 7. For example, and they will be major players in those games as well. So there is a big narrative, very big. I'm I'm talking the level of Star Wars type of epicness in scale to the narrative. Lots of things going on uh, with with how they handle this and the things that that happen that they set up in Episode Five, right? Uh, March of the Black Queen, right? The the things that they uh, discuss and talk about topically, right? In uh, Person of Lord League Caliber, uh, Episode 6. And in Episode 7, right? Uh, Let Us Cling Together, uh, Tactics Ogre, right? All of these things are hitting the same themes over and over again explaining them or covering them in different ways or from different angles and different perspectives, right? One might be class, class-based class warfare theme. Another one will be uh, warfare based on racism, where 
the only thing that differentiates the people is just what tribes they're from, and they're at war with one another because that was enough to separate to make to make them believe that the other was inferior to them. Mm. Just just blood ties, right? And it's it that is recurring, and it's also occurring in an interesting way in a grander scale where there are big nations or big countries or empires that are in a sort of pseudo-cold war with one another in order to apprehend these really powerful, legendary, relic-y, ancient-style weapons and other things that are going on. So it has all of that going on. And then for each of these iterations, each of these three different episodes, they have multi branch, multiple branching path. Each of the stories will have different endings, multiple multiple endings. And in the latest iteration, all right, Tactics Ogre has a multi branching storyline that goes on uh, and changes in very dramatically different ways. So all of that narratively is insane that they did it to begin with, insane that they planned it so early on. We're talking 1993, I that believe. Is, that with, is very early. Yep, with uh, the the first Ogre Battle game. All the way up until uh, the Personal Lordly Caliber, I think it was like 99 or 2000. And then they revisited Let Us Cling Together uh, back in 2011. So... This has been lots of work, lots of rethinking how the world is presented and how the how it is experienced and just well thought out. And as I said last episode, uh, Tactics Ogre is by far, my my opinion, uh, just the best video game story to be experienced, mm -hmm. period. And a lot of that actually ties into the fact that some of these characters that you played in the original Super Nintendo game, uh, you know, Ogre Battle Mar March of the Black Queen, are characters that are doing are doing stuff or having stuff happen to them in this 2011 game, right? It's just, wow, yeah, it's just crazy. It's just that, crazy that they had the foresight to to kind not the foresight, but like the that sort of plan, yeah, to yeah. to do that so far after the game. Just a very big saga. Now, the reason why uh, it's here, and it could be argued, you know, uh, up or down in some ways, this is actually meant to be a much bigger story, right? Episode 5, 6, 7, as I mentioned, where's episode 1, 2, 3, 4, right? Well, there's never going to be an episode 1, 2, 3, 4 because the Ogre Battle franchise is dead, so it dies as a trilogy, unfortunately. Wow, wow, wow. Kind of like Star Wars, but without. Um, um it's kind of where. Really how about this? It's kind of where Star Wars should have died. Should have died in their five. Uh, I'm sorry, four, five, and six, and yeah, not so done anything better. else. Right. It was definitely for the better. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Star Wars. That's a whole nother uh, conversation. Speaking of sci-fi, um, stuff. Number one. Um, number one is the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, we don't count Andromeda uh, at all in this because absolutely not. Um, I don't want. To, I hate yeah. even saying that game's name. 
Um, but yeah, Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, how, I mean, another one of those continuous stories. Excellent, excellent game um, from beginning to end all the way up to, well, maybe not the end of 3. The end of 3 did have some issues. Uh, it kind of made your, like, a lot of the choices you made in the game not feel like they were worth anything. So, I, I don't know. I, I, did you play 3? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I beat the whole thing. So, Mass Effect, it's number one for a very obvious reason. This is one of the only games that I can think of that set out right from the very start to be a trilogy. Yeah. And to be a trilogy, not in an insignificant way, to be a trilogy in a significant way where every where things that you did in the first one is going to impact things that happen in the second one and in the third one. Now, how well they executed on that, that's that you know, there, there's some controversy there, but the fact that they were ambitious enough to attempt something like that is phenomenal and land it on every single game being awesome to play. Every yep. single one individually tell really good stories. Every single one individually, the first one probably being the best story, and then and then be able to sort of have that conceptualized right from the very start. They planned for it to be more or less planned right. for it to be this big epic trilogy where you can very clearly see the direction that they were going right from episode one or sorry the the first Mass Effect. It's just excellent execution of a trilogy. So I mean, it, it's kind of a unfortunate no-brainer that Mass Effect, the Mass Effect trilogy, would be the best RPG trilogy. Yeah, it, it really is a no-brainer. Now, here's the thing: you mentioned that Mass Effect One had probably the best narrative, um, but I felt it had like the least compelling actual gameplay. Um, as time went on, the opposite became true. So, um, three had kind of a weak story, but better gameplay. I felt uh, so. Just kind of the opposite just just happened. Um, and I think that's normal with progression in games in general. Your gameplay should get better. I just kind of wish the narrative kind of had that same quality. It just it just didn't. Yeah, and and to Mass Effect Three's credit, it has to come to an end. Mm -hmm. And when you are having a story come to an end, you're going to you're going to put an end to many many threads. You're, a lot of threads are going to end, and when ending a thread is uh, less satisfying than discovering a new thread in the storyline. That's because that's that's that creates intrigue, that creates excitement, right? You're 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 wondering, oh, what's this going to lead into? Then finally, in three, those threads start to tie together and and close, and now you're like, oh, you're going here this whole time. Oh, that's, right. Okay, whatever. But that's what I mean. It kind of, it kind of made your decisions feel like they, I don't know, they didn't didn't really mean anything. Um. In, in number three, I'm talking. Yeah, uh, but, it, it, it depends. But there was a lot, of, a lot of different things that were going on. So. Yeah, yeah. But definitely, definitely worth playing. Um, I love like how 
how in depth you can get with some of these conversations. Like the dialogue trees must be insane behind the scenes. Um, I can only imagine. And they had that light and dark. Um, as, yeah, they did right. Kind of like the light and dark situation. Good evil. Par is it Paragon and something? Uh, Paragon and Renegade. Yeah, so they kind of had a little bit of that going on with it too. Um, but um, yeah. I felt like the gameplay got a lot more refined as the series went on. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just overall, it's one of those games that's good from Mass Effect 1 all the way to Mass Effect 3. It's just excellent, excellent, excellent game. All right. That is our list for a best trilogy. What do you guys think? What did we miss? Did we miss anything? No, we did not. The answer is no, Johnny. All right, that's going to wrap up today's episode for the Switch RPG Podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening. If you listen to the app, please give us a rating and review. We want to climb up those charts on those platforms so your support there would be amazing. And finally, remember, you can head over to SwitchRPG.com for all your RPG needs on the Nintendo Switch. Until next time. Peace.